Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you are on the planet, good day. It's nice to see you. Uh, this is Office Hours, and it's Thanksgiving morning in America. So uh, our thanks to you for coming in, and thanks to everybody who's participated in Office Hours over the past few years, because this has been a great thing. We're going to do our regular show today. Uh, we're going to... Uh, do all the standard things that you see in the second hour. We're going to have a chat about a specific topic that I'll tell you in a moment. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do on officehours.global. So if for some reason you're you're finding us this Thanksgiving morning, welcome. Uh, our first hour is a general discussion of production and IT-related topics where we answer viewer questions submitted. Uh, the second hour, typically a deeper dive into a topic. And today we are talking about industry jargon. The production industry, as many of you have discovered, is rife with all sorts of weird terms. Some of them have specific origins. Some of them, their origins are lost in time, but it's fun. And if you're on a set, you might hear people say weird things that confuse you. We'll have a discussion of that in our second hour, as long as people want to talk about it as we're getting ready for our day. That takes care of the preamble to all of this. We, the show is actually about answering your questions. So Mitch, we're going to start into that. Mitch, what do we got? All right. Thank you, Bill. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And any question that has any food references in it's going to get a thumbs up from me while I'm reading. Uh, first question in from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. Thoughts on using Bone conducting headsets for Zoom meetings? 10-hour battery life is appealing. Thanks. And Alex is going to start us off. Yeah. So I use I use the... Um, uh, the, the um, <laughs> I can't remember the shocks. name of it right now. The shocks, open comms. So it has a boom. The, the The big advantage of it is not so much the the bone conducting, which is fine. Sometimes you can actually hear the bone conducting through an open mic. So, but if you're using it with the boom, the big advantage is the boom's off-axis rejection is really good. So if you're doing other things while you're in that Zoom meeting or you're shuffling around or uh, cleaning your pool, um, you, the, you can do all those things without people hearing uh, you doing that, um, you know, making that work, even washing the dishes, making even making coffee isn't that bad. So so all those things can um, can work out relatively effectively with the, with that. But it's really the the boom part is the part that really made the, mo the biggest difference with the shocks open comms. Um, so I would I'd recommend looking at those um, for your mobile based ones. Of course, the quality isn't going to be as high. Um, as, as a real mic if you're doing something that matters. And don't worry, I'm sure Alex has never cleaned his pool while he's been on a well, conference call with you. Not, not, <laughs> yeah, not, not when I've been, been on a call with you, Bill. Bill, every time we have a call, of course, I am sitting just at a seat, just staring, you know, at a, at a sheet of paper where I'm taking copious notes. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Next one, uh, Mitch Hill. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I did get the same ones that uh, Alex had and they just felt funky on my head. They were just kind of weird. And the worst part was it tickled me. It made me, it made me laugh. So I started <laughs> giggling in high. the middle of a conversation. It would make me giggle. Why are my questions making Mitch so happy? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, if, it, if, it, if, it's, if, if, if it's, if it's tickling you, it's tuned up too high. That's, that's the problem. So, like it, yeah, so I just kept turning it up higher, hoping it would go away. And it just made me giggle yeah, well, even that's more. That's make it even worse. Bone yeah, conduction the, um, a subwoofer. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, carnival what, ride. The big reason I got them and still the reason I use them is because they're exceptional at being able to listen to a show and listen to comms at the same time. So I can be on comms, throw them on with Unity or, or um, Agent IC and still have all of that and still have the show in my ear. It's really useful. That's very pragmatic and, and useful. Let's go on to the next question. 
Mike Edwards from Brooklyn, New York, where there's a great parade going on right now. Morning, guys. Would connecting a Stream Deck pedal and a Stream Deck XL to a Raspberry Pi be a good idea, or would you guys recommend a different configuration setup to use both of them at the same time with Companion? Thanks. Alex. Yeah, there shouldn't be any reason that you couldn't do it that way. If, if one Stream Deck works, the other one, they're both going to work. Um, and so if there's a reason that you have them both plugged in, um, you know, the Stream Deck software itself uh, will manage that. It's just a matter of, I haven't seen a Stream Deck connected to a Raspberry Pi. Um, I think that you it can be done, but if it can be done, the the amount of information being passed from the Stream Decks to the uh, to the host computer is you know, trivial. So it shouldn't it shouldn't be a problem at all. And, you know, Mike, if you can imagine it, try it and then report back. Tell us how it works. That's really cool. Uh, oh, John wanted to get in on this, John. Well, it's funny because Jonas and one of our longtime producers are are connecting up a regular Stream Deck to a Raspberry Pi right now. There's some hoops you have to jump through, but uh, I'll keep you posted on the progress. And that's exactly how people learn how to do things. I mean, if you don't experiment and try things that are a little unusual, you never find out whether they work or don't. And if you find out they work, everybody benefits. Let's go on to the next question. From Al Trivet in Carmichael, California, Al says, anyone have any experience with this 3D Space Mouse? Wow, sounds like a great description, a 3D Space Mouse. Alex, you have some? Yeah, it, it, the, the intention of it is to give you kind of a, be able to, in a 3D application, you know, go forward and back as well as back and forth. Um, I did test this years ago, and it was really cool. I was like, this is the future. This is awesome. And then I never used it again. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I used it for like a week, and I kept on trying to put it into my workflow. And I just couldn't, I, I don't know anybody that I know that actually you know, there's a lot of us that have bought them. I just don't know anyone that actually uses it in production. It it does seem like it is, uh, it does do what it says it's going to do. Um, and what, what you basically can do, it just gives you the Z axis or the Y axis, depending on who you talk to, um, you know, so architecture versus animation. Um, so uh, Z in architecture, Z is a way, I think, I think that's how, or Z is up and then, Anyway, and then and then with Z is away in, in animation. So anyway, so the point is, you get that Z axis back. You can you can grow and grab things that are off there because sometimes when you're dealing with 3D, you have to kind of rotate around to figure out how you're going to select something. And so it gives you those tools to do that. But it, it's not supported in all the apps. It's not. Um, and again, it's something that sat on my desk for months until I. Do you think as virtual goggles become more prevalent, people will need to you know, like I want to see this on the shelf and it's yeah. out there and to the right. Will it become you know, more the, uh, 20, I think it's almost 25 years ago, I visited um, a, a company that doesn't exist anymore called Silicon Graphics. And um, I was working for uh, Lucasfilm at the time. And so the great thing about working at the ranch is that you could trade lunches all the time. <laughs> Say, hey, you want to come up for lunch and then I'll come down and see you. And so um, the only people that wouldn't do that are locking for some reason. So anyway, the um, you know, we try to get their, their uh, Skunk Works team to trade visits anyway it didn't work so anyway so the um for sgi we uh um uh, i went down there and they showed they we went to this room and you put these this huge goggles it was almost a helmet on and you had these gloves and you could grab onto you could grab onto something and it would you'd feel it and, and you could pull it apart and everything else and i was like this is the future this is they said well it's less than 10 years away and that was 25 years ago and we still don't have it <laughs> so, so it's, it was you know but it was like a you know i don't know how many millions of dollars were in that room to make that run um and it was the the visuals were pretty simple but it was it was unbelievable and um so i think that uh you know it's definitely there's definitely a future there that we're going to get to and you can see everybody working on it 
Um, but it's it's still still a little ways out. Well, I think from the point everybody saw Tom Cruise and Minority Report reach up and throw things around on screens and things like that, we've had this vision of what that it stuff's easy. Like. like that stuff is we're doing, you know, gesture based stuff is not not that far away. It's hmm. the it is the um, I mean that we do that now. Like you know, the, your new uh, MetaQuest will do gesture control, and and your uh, you know, there's things that Apple has that are gesture control and so on and so forth. So those those things are. Uh, are are well known. It's the it is the gloves being able to grab onto something, being able to feel it when you grab onto it. Um, that that were that have existed in the past, but at incredible price, <laughs> at incredible prices. So interesting, fascinating topic. Let's move on to the next question from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida, and caps are stuck. Um, has anyone had a chance to use the Sony FR7 yet? Thoughts. Uh, Mitch, go ahead, and then Alex will finish this up. Mitch? Yeah, I, um, I, it's funny. I talked to my uh, rental buddy to see what kind of activity there is on it because often talked about seldom seen, but uh, the requests are starting to flow in, especially for uh, uh, roundtables and things like that where people are uh, being interviewed or they're having a hybrid event. Um, I think the FR7s would be great uh, in and around the uh, the uh, interviewees, and they can they can use the FX9 or FX6 or whatever else they were using in the back of the room to catch the wide shot. So it's going to be very interesting to see when they if they actually deliver on what we think is a great great camera. Alex, yeah, I think that the FR7 is a game changer. I think it ships on Monday, so I think we're still a little ways away. So uh, Monday, I believe, is the ship date, or or when some people are there are people. That I know, I won't call them out. That are that are in our group that are expecting to get the FR7 next week. <laughs> so at least one. Um, so a lot of people have ordered them, and um, they're starting. They're going to start uh, rolling out next week. So we should hopefully we'll get some folks on. I've asked a couple of them to, or I've asked one specifically to to jump on with the FR7 when they have it. So so we'll um, we'll see what that looks like uh, very 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 soon. Uh, we're hoping to use it in a production as early as the week following. <laughs> so 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 we're um, uh, we're pretty pretty excited about it. It's the same sensor as the FX6. So uh, if you see if you've seen footage from an FX6, you, you, that's what it's going to look like. Uh, the big thing to know is what does the interface do and how smooth is the interface. But that's really the only change that we're really looking at. Being able to do, you know, how good is it? And from their very rough webinar <laughs> that they did, uh, the interface to the iPad it looks like it's just a web page that you open up. So it can be an iPad, it can be a computer, whatever. And it seems to it looks like it's going to work really well. You know, it looks like a very um, uh, a very good setup. I, you know, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be a camera that we use a lot at a big event. I think we think of PTZ cameras that way, but I think that you're going to find it more useful in a studio environment. Um, so you know, less than 15 feet away, uh, full frame sensor is is a thing. You know, so so it's not something that you really uh, you know with Super 35 we won't go over 75 feet with a uh, full frame sensor we typically won't go over 25 to 30 feet. You know, it's just it's just after that the depth of field becomes a real challenge, you know? So, um, so it's really designed for more up and close. Um, I think it's going to be, um, Sony is, is showing it as a filmmaker's tool. And I, I don't know if that's actually, gonna, it might, it might work that way. Um, but I, but I think that it's going to be explosive when it comes to a YouTuber live vlog, you know, vlogger, you know, like the high end solution for this, I think it's going to be massive. And I think they're going to sell as many as they can make. Um, because I think it's at the price point that it's at at ten at ten thousand dollars for a lot of people that are kind of in that upper end of um, you know doing stuff from their studio. I think it's going to be an incredible, incredible camera. Um, you know, at going forward. So we're really excited to see it. Mitch, you had another thought? 
Yeah, on their uh, on their website, if you look at it, uh, they're pushing the film um, aspects of it. But as a uh, as a uh, for car cameras and jib jib arms, and so they yeah. can move the camera around, stuff like that. I, I, the hard part is, is that the jib operators have a very specific way of working, and I think that it's going to be hard to get them to to uh, you know they have they. Um, I had a one jib operator that explained it like you 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 have to learn how to chase a chicken. You know, with it, if you can chase a chicken, you can you know it's like if you can chase, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a if you can chase a chicken with a with a with a uh, um, and and go around you know and really follow it. But that requires this muscle memory of where the camera is going to go and what the controls are and everything else. And I don't think that I don't think this is going to provide that. To be honest, I mean, I think that it's um, I think that the the DGI. Uh, solutions are closer to the real thing, and especially if you look at the their virtual gear solution that is, um, you know, got basically what feels like a gearhead, but a, but then it's just wired. That's going to be much closer to what a filmmaker would want to do. Um, so I don't think that Sony's, I don't know if Sony knows what they're sitting on. <laughs> so I think they're promoting it into one area. Now they may they may know it, and what they want to do is be aspirational. Sometimes you want to go for the film market and show how it could be used for film, so that people don't you don't want to enter and people feel like it's just for people making youtube videos um so that might be why they're doing it but it it on the surface until we won't know until we get it but if it if it works as well as it as we think it will for roundtable discussions for you know um premieres for again youtubers this is going to be just an incredible incredible solution so it'll be really interesting to see something to keep our eyes on next question from Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts. Craig asks, what is the best way to pull the Insta360 link video to my, pull it to my ATEM? Okay. I was hoping the app could go full screen, but I can't hide the right panel. Alex? Depends on what computer you're using. Um, I, the app will not work. You need, you need something that's going to play it out of the HDMI at full screen. So um, you may be able to use, we ha we've had people use Raspberry Pis in the past to, to be a pass-through where they have a USB camera and they put it out full screen. It's never really worked great, but and I, and I don't know if the Raspberry Pi will support you know the the software itself because you do want that software to do the settings. I think that your the best way to do it would most likely be to have something like a computer. I would probably use a Mac Mini, but that seems like a really expensive solution. <laughs> but but a PC would probably work with two HDMI outputs, and you have um, so if you have a little B Link or something like that, what you need is one screen that runs the controller and the other screen that goes into the ATEM and then you set that other screen up as a full screen of what with whatever app you're using is full screen display and then have it pass into the ATEM and then you can control it on one screen and have it the output of it um you know but you need some app like OBS I mean I would use again I would use an old Mac mini with QuickTime set QuickTime to full full screen push it out have a controller on the other one but you could also probably do that with a much less expensive uh, small PC, um, and it just you just have to have two HDMI outs from that PC and one USB in, and a lot of those B links and other things like it have that. All right, next question. Andy Kokendorfer is back again from Vieira, Florida. For headphones, do you have a digital audio, a digital analog converter? Excuse me, recommendation that won't break the bank. Thanks. Guy Cochran's going to start us off, Guy. Yeah, the one I like is from AudioQuest. It's the the Red Dragonfly. It looks like this little USB uh, to 3.5 millimeter. It's about 200 bucks. They have some bigger ones that are more expensive. If you're using it with a phone, you're going to need a little tail cable that'll convert the lightning to uh, USB. Uh, I just use the Apple uh, 
camera converter one that has the, I think it has an SD card thing on it, but it got big. And so they're looking at the website now, they're, they do make a smaller tail cable that, because if you're listening with your phone and this thing's in your pocket, it's it's an ordeal. So uh, right now I, I currently ditched that whole solution because with the Bauer and Wilkins um, headphones, I was at like a thousand dollars going on there and uh, it was cool. But now listening to the Apple headphones uh, for 500 bucks, it was half the cost. So I sold off all that stuff and just used the Apple headphones. Oops. Uh, Mitchell. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a cool device guy. But on the other side of the equation, and I know I'm not answering the question, but I have broken many banks. Um, I, uh, there's a company called Benchmark that makes a great uh, high-voltage uh, headphone amp for uh, uh, digital audio listening uh, conversion. And uh, behind me, I have an RME 82 Black Edition, and they both work great. But unfortunately, they did break the bank. Yeah, high-end audio gear that's really, really for that niche of the market at the top end tends to be extremely expensive. Really good stuff, but extremely expensive. Let's move on to the next question. From Guy Cochran in Seattle, USA, and right here, celebrating Thanksgiving on the panel. What would the process be to test a cheap UVC capture device as a good one? Versus a good one, is it? Yeah. Um, Yeah, sorry. uh, So cheap versus good in... uh, USB UVC capture devices. I have no idea. This is beyond me. Guy, Guy, do you have a thought? It was your question. Yeah, I was researching Mitch's other question that's upcoming with this uh, $30 Condor Blue. And Alex has talked about this a couple of times of lining them up. And I just, I can help. I just, I need to know what the process is to get these. Uh, I looked at getting one of those, um, what is it? Uh, a matrix that'll give you a four by four. Um, so you can take one USB or one HDMI in and spit it out to four. So then we can get the same source. And then, uh, so like right now I brought in, uh, Alex Knight had recommended that Roland that was uncompressed. So this is a Roland UVCO2 piping in a, um, a chart. And then here's a, a black magic. Um, I don't know if I'm seeing any difference here. So this is, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to make this stuff full screen. So Roland, you know, this is three hundred bucks. Uh, this is the Black Magic, and then well, you can see I the had... resolution improves on the Black Magic a little bit. Um, if you look at there, that's the that's the Black Magic right There's there. There's a delta. Yeah. There's a little difference. Yeah. Here. Look yeah. at that. If you go back, um, lost it. so that's the Roland. Let's see here. Can we pin guys' screen somehow? Let me. Because when any of us are talking, and we're this process might be a little flawed. So don't so, don't take this. So completely. look at the array. So look at the if you look at the um, the trumpeter on the the yeah, trumpet the trumpet on the, the bottom as well. Yeah. Well, on the side. Look at the side one. So see how they all they don't they don't converge until you get down to that eight hundred to nine hundred, or really at night, you know, eight seventy five or so. Now now go back to the Roland. This is the Black Magic that we're currently on, and right. now I'm going to the Roland. Okay, do, do you see do you see those converges in the array between 600 or at at about 700 725 or so um so that's a that's a lower resolution <laughs> you know, yeah, I saw that specifically clear. on the bottom yeah. one, right above 700. Yeah. There's a yeah. clear diamond that's showing up. So that's, you know, so there's definitely a resolution change between the two that are there. But what we really want, I mean, that's something we want to look at. So you can see how that and that could be, I think the Roland uh, and is that the same camera? So that's that's the thing is this is a flawed test because I, 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 oh, I don't cameras. have a I don't have a matrix to to put them uh, side by side so because, it so could be the cameras. way that I'm piping it in but well, I just wanted to be, bring up I just wanted to bring sharpening. up something 
in in the ballpark. So don't take this completely yeah, yeah, yeah. as gospel. But I just wanted to give you guys kind of a uh, an idea because. And what are the two different cameras? So that's the thing. This isn't a camera. This this is uh, Sienna. So oh, right. let me pull. So here I can bump through these different charts. So okay, now, Sienna, now switch between these two. This is this is more interesting. Uh, okay, so this that? is uh, this is the Black Magic, um, but the workflow. I'll have to explain how this is piping through to get into the Black Magic. This is going through. Do, 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 how is this piping in? I think this is the Apple TV doing NDI conversion. So it's kind of a. It, it's mm -hmm. they're not it's getting a, the same route. Signal. Yeah, they're not getting the same signal. So here's the rolling now. Mm -hmm. But again, the paths are different. So I don't want to make this yeah, gospel. Yeah. But yeah, this isn't this, the test. This is just an example. Go ahead and go to the yeah. roll. This is the Roland here. Uh -huh. And then I'm going to switch over now to the black magic design. Because that's what's interesting design. is that so looking at if you look at the red above and go back to the Roland, you'll you'll see the color changing. Roland. And you'll see it in, in the pink, Roland. you'll see it in the green. So go ahead and go back to um go back to the black magic. This is black magic. So, so that's what you know, so the kind of things we're looking for are the colors that go around the edge and what are they change, you know, how are they changing? Um, you know, and it's not, you know, and I don't, you know, have to figure out exactly how we're gonna measure that, but but you can see it. Um, you know, this is the uh this is the black magic right now. This is the black magic. And go to Roland. This is Roland. And go back again to Black Magic. This is Black yeah. Magic. So you can see subtle changes in the grayscale down at the bottom. You can see some color changes in the top. Well, then um, he, here's the one that you'll you'll probably appreciate. This is uh, all right. So Black Magic. Mm -hmm. And now cutting over to Roland. And three, two, one, Roland. The Roland, yeah, the the Roland definitely has a different tint to it um, as well. Go back to the Black Magic. Black Magic. Yeah, so it, it, you know, I think that we have to keep on. We have to figure out how we're going to do this, and I think we'll keep on coming back to it. Um, but but I think that we need to do that across a lot of things, and we do have to figure out probably how to use a matrix um, to make that work. <laughs> my matrix is so tied into my production pipeline. I'd be a little. Uh, be hard for me to tear it apart, but I possibly could. But what we need is an input going into the into the black, you know, like a whole bunch of input inputs going into something that are all the same or different. I mean, you know, like for instance, one of the things we're looking at is like this. I have the little condor blue that uh, I think you know this little guy here, and I and I haven't been able to test it yet. Uh, just just keep I keep on going. Oh, where am I going to plug this in anyway? So, uh, but uh, with all of the, the thing that I'm really interested in is is taking the same camera and feeding it into a bunch of these and, and and then and then seeing what what that camera does what what does each one of these do in the digitization do they you know and, and things you want to also look at as pure blues pure reds pure greens and see see if you start to see stair stepping from scaling see if you start to see you know obviously shifts shifts in the black levels you know all those things are things we want to look at so yeah i think we, what, we have to keep what, on working on defining one it. more quick one here so roland with this mm -hmm. this is a 4k uhd and again, this is a flawed test just to make everybody well aware, but this is the black magic. But look at those white shifting, the the first A. I can't read what it says, but uh, mm -hmm. it's the first round ball. So black magic and now cutting over to Roland. Whoa, whoa, that doesn't... Something is... Yeah, something's... Is that really the same right? image? I don't know if that's the same image. That can't be the same image. Can't change that. What is going on? Yeah. yeah. Something should be the same feed. 
Well, the other thing is whenever you're doing a resolution test, we're all watching this and we're all watching it on whatever we have in our suites. That right. We're, but it we're not looking at the quality. We're not measuring each one. We're just simply looking at uh, um, the difference between the two. Right. But if it, it, to the extent that my small teleprompter monitor that I was looking at that example on may not be resolving at the same level of somebody else's system. Right. You never can tell if it's something in the signal that's actually differing or the way well, that you are. No, if they're switching between it, the main thing is you're looking for delta, not absolute. So in, in any monitor, I mean, your, your little teleprompter may not work, but but if in, in yeah, regular the delta monitor, on my teleprompter may be exacerbating yeah. or eliminating the ability to see right. that difference. Right. It's a but real difference. But generally, yeah, you're, you're, but the, when you see the, the black ones turn white. I yeah, something's uh, really weird on this one. So yeah, again, this Roland, and then switching over to Black Magic, and the white changes. Yeah, to I don't. Black. That's something's weird. Yeah. Oh. yeah, and they are going. One's going through a Bird Dog Play, and one's going through an Apple TV. So that's another right, yeah, variable. So it's because I I wanted to. Yeah, I need that matrix. I need if if that's the test. If I need to buy that two hundred dollar thing, I need to ask Santa. For, where's Santa Greg? Papa needs a new uh, four by four matrix or an eight by. Do you have the eight by, Alex? I have the eight by. Yeah, I have the eight by four K. So it's still expensive. I, I realized the one that was cheaper was the HD version, but you could do the HD version would be fine. Um, but mine's the the the, the Black Magic four K or Blackbird four K, which is really nice once you get around to opening the the web page for it. Like once you once you address it, it's uh, it's pretty powerful because you can copy the UDIDs, you can, you know, and um, then you can do all the routing there. It's much easier than using the front panel. Like I don't, like I used to go, oh, it has to be somewhere on the desk because I have to be able to reach up and make it, make the changes. I don't touch the, I'm not touching the, the interface and, anymore. And then the other thing on these tests is uh, Craig mentions in the chat is the, what's the load getting put on the computer and what's the latency. So, I mean, we've got like lots of variables, but it'd be good to test. Yeah. I mean, th the $20 version of a cheap Chinese knockoff versus an AJU tap, which yep. is the gold standard, you know, like mm -hmm. what, why am I going to spend 300 bucks versus 20? Like, yep, yep. what's the scoop? Yep, absolutely. Mitch, did you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, well, that's a tough one to weigh in on, but the, the color charts are very telling um, I usually just try to get past the first uh, uh, goal there, which is, can it make uh, the frame rate and the resolution that it says? Can it do 1080 yeah. and then is it 30 or 60? But but some of these cheap ones have really, people are like, oh, I have this little digitizer and it and it really make, can make a difference. Like I've seen $50 like HDMI interfaces and the blacks are crushed. You know, like not like a little of it, like a lot, you know, and, you know, and so the quality of those H.264 chips is wildly different. And so thinking that something you can buy a $50 one and, and what would be interesting is if you can buy a $50 one, it looks exactly like a $300 one. Then that's something we need to know too. But a lot of them, I mean, I would say 80% of them are not good. I fired up my, uh, uh, the USB output on my FX3 Sony, uh, to go directly right. into zoom and, um, it can't do anything more than 520. And I didn't know that. I went to all this right. trouble and I said, 520, that's useless. Yes, and for those of you watching and listening, that's one of the reasons that people who do this for a living are so persnickety about test equipment and monitors and things, making sure that when they're looking at two different signals and comparing them, there's nothing well, getting in the way of an accurate comparison. And the other thing we're going to want to do is whatever computer is getting this, this is we'll want to have like Omniscope open, you know, so that we can go back and forth because it's one thing for us to say, oh, the reds are a little different. But in, in a scope, we can really see the you'll see it jumping up and down to see what the difference is and you'll see exactly Absolutely. what it's doing to different uh different colors so yeah so that's a good it's a good start to uh 
to our journey. And I, I think, think a fun that, discussion. I do, Guy, I do think that you need an 8 by 8 Blackbird. I'm just, just saying. I need that. And uh, I think Omniscope is going to go on Black Friday sale. Does anybody know? It's 30% it off. Is it 30%? All right. Papa needs a lot of new stuff, man. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Remember that the Omniscope is, we're going to try to get those guys, try to get him on. Um, uh, the Omniscope is three computers, too. Like it's three licenses when you buy it. So it's just. Uh, so you, you you don't it's not just one one per machine because then we put it on a lot of machines. So and then be aware of the different versions. The pro version will give you NDI output, which the one I got last year on sale does not. So it, it's kind of a drag. But yeah, the three licensing is cool because I, I have it on my Mac, but I also have it on a PC up in the cloud. So it's cool to have it on multiples. Whereas something like uh was it QLab? There was a couple I got burned on where I thought that it was multiple licenses, but it's like, nope, you, you get one machine, you want more. I think it was MIDI or one of the, one of those. Right. I think Mitty's on sale today too. Ouch! All right, we've been on this for a while. Let's move on. And see what the next question is. Peter Belbin from Houston, Texas, asked: Rode has released the NT USB Plus side address mic with a USB C connector. Seems good for voice based on online reviews I've seen. At one hundred eighty dollars, perhaps this might be one to test. Comes with a headset connection and some built-in DSP filter functions. Well, you know, Rode has done well over the course of the last few years. They've been uh, they've come from uh, something I hadn't heard about in the a pantheon of mic companies, and they've done uh, well since. And Alex, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it looks like a good. It it, it do, definitely looks like a, a good looking mic. Um, you know, for for what what's going on there. This is the kind of one that I you know. I may I may stretch out and buy it to to sample with the other ones because you know I've de definitely used a lot of Rode mics. Um, I do like the big pop filter. Um, I think that, that is uh, um, I think the pop pop filter is a uh, it's a good thing when you're sending it out. You know I really like the one thing that I don't I couldn't see on the website and I'm just trying to see if if it also has if it's only USB. Yeah, it's only USB as far as the connection goes, and so that's that's good. I have to admit that one of the reasons that we like the MV7. Um, for what we're when we're investing in them is that I can have a USB connection and then I can also plug in an XLR if I want to. So if I want to put it into a larger system, I want to grow that into a bigger system, it can be part of that system. And so uh, you save a little bit of money, obviously, by by not doing that from a production perspective. Uh, but it but it's a little bit usually I kind of I've learned to not buy a lot of those because I can't fit them into a larger system. It may not matter. Um, but it's definitely something that that I'm interested in. The other thing for I look at everything through a lens of what am I going to send to remote participants? Um, a larger diaphragm, which is what this looks like, is great for a home that I'm that I have control over. The advantage of something like again an MV7 is that it has a lot of off-axis rejection. So what I wanted to do is only talk to listen to that person and not listen to the rest of the room because I don't have any control over that. So again, I'm listening to I'm looking at through a very specific um, lens of what am I going to send to people? I think as a general purpose for a vlogger or someone who is putting something up on YouTube or doing a, you know that kind of thing, this could work, or even our show um, could could this could work really well. So we should definitely, hopefully, someone will get it. Um, I'm not sure if I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm ready to buy any more mics. I got a lot of them laying around. I'm 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 um, I'm I'm nearly at Wallace level. So. Oh, that's dangerous to get up there. Uh, let's go on to the next question. And it's a question for me here in Wilmington, Delaware. Has anyone tested the Condor Blue HDMI to USB-C encoder? It has a blue cable. Uh, Mitch, you asked the question. Do you want to answer it as well? I better start because I brought this up last night on uh, After Hours, and here it is, still packaged, 
has not been opened. And uh, I got a lot of grief from the gang on uh, after I was saying, why don't you test it yourself? And I said, why should I test it when somebody else is willing to test it or already <laughs> has tested it? And I said, it has a blue cable. And but you're you concerned say, with returnability? And um, I guess I guess whether it does what it says it does. And by the way, to give you an idea of the uh, uh, the range of uh, uh, criticisms I got uh, last night, my question was voted down to minus eleven at one point. It's made it oh, back up gosh. to three, so that's something. Yeah, the the uh, I, I'm I'm actually pretty interested in it. Um, I still have it here. It's been one of those things that I've been. I have it happened to arrive when I was rebuilding my whole studio. So adding one more thing has been just looking like adding one more thing, but. But I do want to throw it into the into the pipeline. What I love about the idea of it is, even if it's not perfect, having something in my bag that just says I can get a video signal into my computer, like just just a tiny little like I've carried around mini recorders forever. So it's just a matter of knowing that I have something that just plugs into my computer and, and provides a signal. Alex, what would you use to record it and or manipulate it? Would you run it into a Final Cut or something like that? What's the? Oh no, I, it would just be like uh, if I want to if. I always have a setup with my when I'm when I used to do a lot of streaming remotely, and I'd go to locations. I always had something in my 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 bag that said, "In worst case scenario, I can open up." Um, you know, uh, it depended on the year, but it was something between Wirecast or FFM or um or some kind of FFmpeg or um, Mimo Live or whatever. I know that I can open up a computer. I can get the video signal from my system. And I can stream it out to the internet. <laughs> like I just wanted, all I wanted it to do was just know that if my encoders go down, um, and I never had to use it, you know, knock on wood. But I never had to. I never had to replace my encoders with it. But I knew that I had to be able to do that. And sometimes we would, as the encoders were coming up, we'd throw that laptop in and just play out. You know, just just run the stream to the to a page so that we could see it. But that's like my, you know, when you think about a pace approach, you know, primary, alternate, contingency, emergency, that's like the emergency one. <laughs> like that is the, you know, that's the, on the four ways out of this building, there's one of them that is, I've got a MiFi and I've got a laptop and I'm going to stream it over, you know, whatever LTE, you know, and some signal's going to go out um, to the rest of the world. Um, and of course, if I get to that point, many, many things went wrong. Um, so the USB-C... Uh, out of the laptop into that would convert it to HDMI where you could feed it into. No, no, no. Uh, this is HDMI in. Oh, HDMI in. So this would so be this like is, taking yeah, the HM's out signal yeah. in it's an and encoder. then USB-C in. It's an encoder. Bill. It's an yeah, encoder. So theoretically, okay. this is an encoder inside of a what looks like a cable. And so that's what we're, that's what we want to test, but th that's what I would use it for. And, and again, you know, as you try to make a, a kit smaller and smaller and smaller, you know, there is a, a place where I might want to take my 6K camera and, um, I just want to plug it into my laptop and and have it and be able to jump on a show or or do an interview and having something super small like this that doesn't require external power doesn't you know that's that's just in my bag is uh, uh, interesting. That makes sense. Mitch, you had another thought. I, I'm with Alex on that. I, I I got it as an emergency stopgap uh, so that if my ATEM goes down or something else happens, that I always have the ability to get uh, USB into my uh, uh, into my Zoom call. Because I found out again, my FX3 only uh, on the USB connection only does 520, and uh, this does 1080, folks, and it's got a blue cable. Uh, a blue cable's pretty. How will I say that? that. Makes the, I think it makes the bits go faster. Uh, is is the blue cable uh, yeah, red, pretty red and bendy? slows the, the the signal down by about two percent. Yeah, and redshift. Red it's the redshift <laughs> slowdown of the bits. <laughs> 
a little more anti-magnetic the blue ones exactly. i would think yeah. <laughs> it's, blue. Blue. it's just it, it's like ice it's slippier yeah, it's, there you it's, go it's, it's, you know it's, the electrons just bounce off they, they, the blue the blue cable makes it slippier slippier yeah there you go <laughs> next question from vic hernandez in springfield missouri what soft skills do you credit office hours for instilling or enhancing? Boy, this is a big question. Let, let's start with Alex and go to Guy and John. Uh, go ahead, Alex. You know, I, I think that it just um, working with a lot of people. I mean, I've done it in the past, but I think that over the last th- three years, I mean, I just learned more and more about um, just working with teams and working because it's because it's such an amazing group of people to work with that you're constantly like, how do I provide more support for them, for everyone here to do stuff as opposed to me doing it. Because I, I know that if I'm doing something, then I'm just hanging on to it for no reason because we have so much skill here. Um, and so, uh, so being able to, um, you know, learn how to delegate even more effectively and, and learning how to work with people and, and work with people that don't necessarily agree with you that, that are, you know, are smart and they're good at what they do and they, and, um, and you're, you just don't see eye to eye and figuring out the best ways to find a way that, um, that we find someplace in the middle or, or on their side or my side and, and being able to be kind of, uh, you know, open to all of those options. Guy? Yeah, I'd say being more present. A lot of the time you're in these sessions and you're uh, looking at other things and you forget what, uh, what the conversation is. So you got to just really listen and pay attention because it can shift all of a sudden. And if you're not listening, if you're not present, if you're not paying attention, then all of a sudden when you go to reply, you're off, you're off base. So it's truly listening. And it's a, it's an art. It's a skill you hear it at NPR, uh, people that are really good. They're not just uh, plowing through and not listening because Again, there's sometimes a nugget that somebody says, and all of a sudden you you can latch onto that nugget and it drives a deeper conversation. So I'd say definitely just the listening and presence is what I've learned. John Preto. Inside of the office hours database that I maintain every day, I write something down. Like today I added the Condor uh, adapter. So every day I've got a list of hundreds of items that I've learned on office hours. But my favorite thing is is when Roscoe taught us crossing the line and when it's appropriate and when it when it it is appropriate and when it's not appropriate. That I learned from Roscoe. Mitch Hill. Yeah, I'll take that a little step further. Uh, I'm a former radio guy. I did a morning show on the radio. So you can imagine uh, the abuse my filter, my internal filter took. Um, I got a serious upgrade on my filter when I came on board here in office hours uh, a little over a year ago. And um, I would say that that was probably the best thing to help me dealing with other people, because here's the thing. Nobody on this panel will tolerate anybody that uh, either says something that they know is incorrect uh, or is uh, uh, inappropriate. So I'm just saying I got a great upgrade for free. To me, it's a process of you, you call them soft skills and they are really that's often human relationship skills and how important they are. Um Everybody I know that I've learned the most from has managed. The one thing that there is universal about them is they managed to stay and improve in their business over the course of many, 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 many years. And when you start finding the the people who are not competent at those soft skills, they they tend to fall away. They tend to not be asked back onto sets. They tend to just mess things up in some way because they don't know how to manage that inner human interaction part of things. And because of that, you start saying, oh, wait, wait, maybe 
even though they're called soft skills, maybe they're every bit as important as the hard skills. Because you think when you're young, at least I did, oh, that guy's really brilliant at this thing. So it doesn't matter if he's a jerk because he's really, really fabulous. And there are still circumstances where, yeah, that can be true. But boy, there is so much more competition. There's not as much difficulty in finding people who can do technical stuff now because this has been a part of the general internet discussion for a long time so why not pay attention to both sides of that why not be technically competent and somebody who can work with a team and fit in and knows when not to talk and when to to thank people for helping you get your jobs done um because you will Ascend a couple of steps on the call list, and that will get you more experience and more success in your industry. So I just think it's incredibly important. And I also give credit to my wife for being really, really good at that and for teaching me all the way along the way how important it is to do those little thank yous and the rest of those things that I could ignore when I was a young man. And she made me understand every bit as important as knowing which end of an XLR to use. Uh, Let's move on to the next question. From James Fosling in Minneapolis, Minnesota. James asks, I'm thinking of some Black Friday software deals on audio. Is there any we shouldn't miss? Mitch has a thought here. Uh, it's a pretty quick answer. Isotope and Waves. Those are my two favorites, and they'll be below the normal price. Alex. Yeah, what Mitch said. <laughs> I was going to say exactly <laughs> the same thing. So I'm just, just going to step away now. Okay. Well, we've got some uh, we, a confluence of opinion here. Waves Isotope goes through every, the biggest sales are usually Black Friday. Waves is about every three to six months. You get like this. Hey, everything's thirty dollars, and no one buys anything in between. You just wait for the the things to come down. The only time you buy something from Waves when they're not on sale is when you're desperate. <laughs> so so anyway, so the uh, but this is the time. This is the right time to buy those, and and the the, the sales get better as you buy more. They're they've got it. They've got that that part down pat. Uh, James. Oh, next question. From James Babbitt in San Diego, California. James asks, thanks for the excellent new song by the remotes. How did Alex help with recording the drums? And Alex will weigh in on this. You know, I, I, I showed him everything. You know, I, I showed him exactly how to syncopate and how to do all the things and how to put, how to hit the thing with the thing. And, and that, that was really, oh. I, I really felt very, uh, I felt very talented about that. You know, I, I was, it was, it was mostly this. I, I just, I just sat there and gave him all the, the, the tips he needed with my fingers on this desk and just tapping it along. Uh, no, I, I bank. I just bankrolled it. <laughs> that's, those that's of you who helped, I just, I just, I just helped rent the theater, and and uh, that's that. That was the only help I did was just, um, just trying to make. I just thought it was such a incredible opportunity to have these drums playing in this giant theater. So I was enrolled and thought, well, let me let me make sure that that happens. And so that that's all I did. Uh, for somebody who has been peripherally involved on the video side of all the Office Hours productions since the beginning, one it is just an extraordinary group of people. I, I would I would have said musicians. Yes, they are extraordinary musicians, but I find that secondary to the fact that they're just lovely people to hang out with, and it's and been one of the joys of my life. And it was also an incredible detail. I mean, incredible uh, oh. deal. Not de- incredible detail, but an incredible deal. Like so, part of it was that it wasn't a ton of money. I just didn't want someone else to spend money on it, and so. Uh, but it wasn't it, that was part of the deal is like it was this grand theater and it wasn't very expensive and and it just it was just an opportunity i didn't think we could walk away from i thought i had written it off a long time ago like oh they're never gonna finish that song <laughs> I'm like, well, you picked like, something that was, was like, so was like, complicated. I, was like, I mean, what's funny was I didn't think it was that complicated until yesterday when I watched it go through. When I watched the 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 tracks, I was like, oh, I really, really put 
put people put, take this on the, in the band. And for those of you who don't know about the band, the band may be quietly, subtly working in the background, but the complexity that they managed mm-hmm. to achieve and the dedication yeah. and the, the, the attention to detail mm-hmm. is stunning. And boy, you can learn a billion lessons about how really good music gets created and recorded just by very, hanging out with the office hours band. They're amazing. Complex. I'm, I'm really glad that it came out. I can't wait to see the video with the, with the drums in the theater. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Uh, still working on things. So uh, it'll be a while and more songs to come. Great, great group of people. Let's move on to the next question. Peter Belbin from Houston, Texas asked BM Blackmagic Design HD Constellation 4ME switchers are now available for those unable to justify an 8K. For a show like Office Hours, would that be a lower cost way to simultaneously provide an alternative form factor view of the Office Hours show? For example, mobile devices. I don't know that much about the back end. Alex, good. You just weighed in. So tell us a little more about. Yeah. So this is just, it, it basically, the, the there is a an HD version of the Constellation that I think is a, looks almost identical to the to the 8K version. What I wish is it was a 4K version, not an HD version. Um, you know, so because we would definitely jump on a 4K version really quickly. The 8K is superfluous to us. Um, and so the four, I, I kind of wish that, that that they had gone, they had shifted down to 4K rather than HD. Um, and so, so I don't think that we're going to jump into it because again, we're hoping to do a version of this that are, that is at 4k. And as far as cropping or going to another form factor, I mean, we could, we could potentially do that, but a lot of that can be done in the encoder. So it's, but I still need that 4k start because if I want to do nine by 16, let's just say, um, you know, I need more vertical than, than the 1080. So, um, that's the, that's the challenge there. So, so that would, you know, so, um, I mean, we could theoretically also figure out a way to do it, do it, do it, everything sideways, and then rotate it up. There's a bunch of a bunch of different options there, but but I I, I wish that they had gone to 4K. The, the HD one for me, I can definitely see how a lot of people would use it and be valuable. Um, but 4K was really the floor that I started in 2016, and I I have these extremes, but you know I don't use the extremes that much in production. All right, next question. From Alan Scott in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, I'd like to set up audio meters for Zoom meetings. Budget is always a problem, so what is my lowest cost option? Mitch has some thoughts for Mitch. Take it away. Um, yeah, there are some. Uh, I think uh, CBS Labs has a freebie out there that has a special uh, deflection on the RMS VU meters. But um, I still think you should uh, wait for the next big sale from from Waves and get the very same one we use here. The WLM meters you see there from Hasmuk um, are excellent uh, meters, and it's the ones that we approve and use every day. Alex, yeah, Ulean has some that that you might be able to use as well, and those are I think those are cross platform um, on the Mac. You know, if you really want to go crazy, there's another one called Sonic Atom, um, and uh, so Sonic Atom has a lot of things that you can. Um, uh, that you can you know put together there. So so that's another another one. The one my favorite one is still Spectre. And Spectre was bought by Zynaptic, and I think that they just found that the code was probably more complicated than they expected. So we, uh, if you bought it in the past, you can send them a receipt, and they'll like your email receipt from ten years ago, and they'll give it to you. But they haven't really released it any wider than that. All right, moving on to the next question. From Nathan Cashian from Oregon City, I just got a new Stream Deck Mark II, but I'm out of ports. The user guide says it must be connected directly, not through a hub. I've got four HDs via hub, HDMI to USB, an audio interface, and a hub for peripherals. How do you connect so many devices? 
There's, there's just, there's never enough ports as you get into this business. You, I don't care how many you have. I, I liken it a little bit before I ask other people to, I built a studio out of a hay barn and I put on 124 Edison power outlets arrayed behind where my desk was going to go, thinking that I would never use those up. Sure enough, four months after I moved into that, every single one of them had something attached to it. There, there, It's never enough ports. Let's start with Mitchell. Yeah, you didn't say if you had an M1 or a Studio or an Ultra. Um, I'd do it by breaking the rules. Uh, I have a uh, uh, OWC Thunderbolt dock, and uh, I use that to connect my Stream Deck. And we're not supposed to do that, but I do it, and it works for the most part. Alex? Yeah, I think that the reason that they do that is because a lot of people are going to put in cheap hubs and then it's not going to be able to handle the throughput and then people are going to complain that it's not working. Um, I definitely think that if you're going to an OWC hub, as Mitch had mentioned, probably going to be fine. <laughs> like you're going to, you know, and and so, um, or put other things on those hubs and really try to prioritize it. But especially as you start adding multiple stream decks, I don't know anybody that has three or four stream decks running that aren't, that isn't running that through a hub, but they are typically OWC, what I would say is OWC quality, you know, hubs um, that, uh, that are there that you're, if you're buying a hub for less than probably $150 or $200, you're probably not going to get, you probably don't want to do that. So you really do want to get a high quality hub to, to move things through. Yeah. I think I've had the same experience. Sometimes they just seem to Y out connectors. But, There's nothing behind them, but other companies like OWC's one, and there are others, uh, really take care with the engineering to make sure that the signal, the power, everything else is passed port to port completely properly. So one looks like, the key. Um, By the way, they make they make an OWC hub with an eSATA uh, or a, yeah, an eSATA connection as opposed to the Thunderbolt connection. Don't buy that one. <laughs> it's the one Oops. I have. <laughs> so it's like, it's like what it's am I wrong skew? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, you know, so I don't. You know, I'm sure that it was great when people used eSATA for their drives. I don't think I've ever had an eSATA drive in my entire I history. I had uh, yeah, I, a cable. It was one of those things. Like I, I, I. It was. I got it. I was like, there must be something wrong with this. This was this was years ago, like two years ago during uh, during COVID, and I was like, I don't understand how this works. And I and it worked a little bit on the front, but I and then I finally sat down in this new in my new breakout and I got it all set up. And I was like, where's the the Thunderbolt that they're talking about in all the manuals? And I realized the Thunderbolt on mine two years ago was eSATA. Ouch. Just don't buy that one. If you just just make sure it's got a Thunderbolt on that. When you're looking at it on the right on the left corner, it should be Thunderbolt, not eSATA. I know for those of you who are friends of ours and we get so specific, no, I need this model number. This is yeah, exactly the exactly. one. But it says the problem is if when you search, if I, if I look at the front and I go Thunderbolt 3 Pro Dock, which is what I bought, and you do that on the OWC site, you will see a uh, Thunderbolt, not an eSATA, because I don't know when they made this or who they made it for, but it was I, was, I bought the wrong one. Uh, not that I'm next. Bitter. We've all done it. We've all <laughs> done it. Next question. Next question from Douglas Carmichael. How can we as a community break out of our echo chamber and strengthen our audience and therefore contributor base? Alex. Uh, once we finish 2.5, we'll probably start to expand. Um, so just enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> it's it's going to get better because there's going to be more flow, but it's going to be more challenging as well. So I, I, I think that uh, we should enjoy our, our small village, uh, you know, because it, it, it's not that the next one won't be, the next one will be better, but it'll come with new things. And there'll be people on after hours complaining about the fact that, oh, I remember when it used to be the blah, blah, blah and everything else. And so just just enjoy it while it lasts. 
I remember in the early days messing up and thinking, oh, the saving grace is that there's only a couple hundred people here. I didn't mess up horribly in front of the entire planet. And I, so I think there was a certain safety in learning well, our chops for this. And again, there's been a lot of, there's a lot of, all of us have been um, kind of, as we've gotten our studios together, as 2.5 rolls up, as we've gotten rid of the black frames inside of our auto, you know, auto cutting system, as we've gotten through, like all these things that we've been slowly tying together um, are nearly done. And as we get to that, there's a lot of us that have other people that we can bring on and that will expand the number of people viewing viewing it. And we've also tried to make sure that we figure out that back end structure and the culture and all those things very carefully. Um, we've had the advantage of not having to generate, you know, revenue from it. Um, and so a lot of people just get into a rush of like, no one sits and lets something cook for three years. <laughs> That's a very unusual thing to do. And so, uh, you know, you know, most people want to, you know, blow it up. So now, and we're going to still be careful about how we expand, but I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too worried about that question. I'm more worried about what happens when another 5,000 or 10,000 people join, you know, that's the thing that I'm, that I'm concerned about is how to manage that effectively. And when this does roll out, it's going to look awfully polished and, you know, people will watch it and think, well, that must not be so hard to do Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because everybody who's really good at stuff, you watch me go, well, that can't be too hard to do. And then you try to exactly. do it and you go, wait, yeah, really. that's really hard to do. Uh, well, next question. Eric Price in Kansas City. My son shot some video for a project yesterday using my GH4 and the FHD 100 megabit per second 24P record quality. He didn't notice that 40% popped up in the viewfinder. Now the video plays in slow-mo. Can I correct it in post? How much speed increase will I need? Oh boy. Uh, so this is a process where you have fewer frames and you need to make more frames. And so there's going to be some math and some doubling and things like that involved. Uh, it, yeah. So checking all the things is important. Alex, you want to have uh, a weigh in on this? Yeah, you, you actually, you have more frames than you need. The pro I think you need to speed it up by 2.5% or, or 2.5 times is the, is the number that you're trying to um, speed it up by. Um, because it's going to be twice would be 80% plus 0.5. Um, is that right? 2.5. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, cause 20, 20 there. So, so the, um, that's what you're going to want to speed it up by. Uh, you're going to have problems with the motion blur, not looking correct because now you have motion blur for something that was two and a half times, uh, you know, in, in the slow motion. So that may not, may not look quite correct, um, as you do that. And of course your audio will maybe not sync up. <laughs> so hopefully you weren't, you weren't trying to use audio out of that. Uh, but but it, it should be recoverable uh, other than the motion blur. And then you can use, if you really need to use it for something, you could potentially do something where you, um, uh, you could potentially do a uh, process where you use something like real real motion blur to try to recover those. But you don't, the problem you have is that you need to speed it up, but you don't have quite enough frames to rebuild the motion blur. So it could be a little bit more difficult. Thank you for catching that. I thought it was undercranked, but it was overcranked. Yeah, that is a much easier thing to to solve than you didn't capture enough temporal information. Let's move on to the next question. Next question in from David Paskin in Miami, Florida. What does ME stand for and mean in Blackmagic Design HD Constellation 4 ME? It's mix effect, and those are the buses that allow you to uh, do various connections of things in your output. Uh, Mitchell and Alex will explain it. Mitch, you want to start? Yeah, essentially layers. You need uh, certain layers for effects, things like that. The more you got, Alex, the better. You want to expand? Yeah, I mean, so in, in in any given switcher, these are as 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 was mentioned before, um, is buses. These are buses, and it's like 
putting things on the bus. <laughs> so, so if you if you really think about it here, you have, um, you know, you, if you have a four ME, it means you have four buses that are going across here, and you can have video going through here, but you can also send this ME to this ME or this ME to this ME. So if you think about this being four, three, two, one, this is your main output. This is your program output, but you could be using these buses and each one of these can be, you can have um, edits as well as, um, as well as not only can you edit those, but you can also add upstream keys. So upstream keys sit in each of these MEs. Um, now the downstream key isn't, it's, it's its own bus. In fact, it's actually two buses and two buses that you're not editing, but those downstream keys um, are applied. And the reason that they are applied over top of everything else is because um, because what you want to be able to do is is send out a clean feed of whatever wherever you're going out of here a clean feed and then these are because they're in a separate processing um, path and what it means is that they can be removed from that so one but one output is with them and one output is without them it can't be integrated to every and people ask like why can't I have a downstream key in in my me4 because it's designed to be layered back into something and so and that that also makes the processing much more complicated if you start doing those composites everywhere. So, um, so anyway, so those are the, the MEs. A lot of times we use those multiple MEs to build up a show. So you don't really do, you're not really doing four shows. You're using those MEs to build things for the main show. So for instance, you might use, um, you know, in some cases you could change the inputs on your super source, but you could have, let's say two, two big, you know, a small window and a big window. And then you'd have that's the program that's a super source and that is program that's your main program that's me1 but the the shots that are there maybe me3 me2 and me3 so that they're there now you're cutting a show you could cut shows into those windows that are then fed into the um into the me1 as sources uh for that process and so there's a couple you know so that's why that's how you start to use these me's and sometimes you do try to run, you will run a show on me one and another show on me two um you know for if you're doing like to the web and to the you know to the local or to the broadcast or whatever but uh, most of the way that they, most of the way that these emmys are used is to build shots up and have these emmys handing off pieces of what they're doing or being able to so that I can continue to edit and they live in their own little world i can have lower thirds i can have all kinds of other things in these other emmys feeding the main program from there Nice explanation. We're going to go over a little bit on our regular questions today because I'm not sure how many people, we don't have any questions on the jargon part of this, and it'll be just kind of relaxed. It's it's a national holiday, so we're going to take our time. In the U.S. In the U.S., that is correct. Exactly. National holiday, not a global and every, holiday. And everyone on the panel is in the U.S. So it's, it's, <laughs> there you go. So we will spend a little time. Uh, next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas asks, David Brady wants to know if you can stream a bit of his parade coverage into office hours today. Uh, we discussed that a little bit during the pre-show and the early parts of it. Uh, 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 Mitch, what were your thoughts? And Alex, what's yours? Uh, he's live right now in after hours, so you can uh, check him out there if you want to jump over. But um, I'm sure we could uh, probably catch the tail end. But of course, it's not over until Santa comes out. So I don't yeah, know where well, he is. Alex, what are your thoughts? I think it'd be great. If, if, if we have an easy way to get him in, let's put him in. I don't even care. I mean, this is Thanksgiving. We'll answer a couple more questions. I don't care if we talk underneath it. Like, you know, we'll just put David's video up and we just keep answering questions. It's Thanksgiving. I kept <laughs> watching the... So so if, if, if David, if we can get David in here and, and we can cut it in, I'm happy for us just to keep answering questions underneath David's video. There you so, go. Um, have a little fun. Let's go. Yeah. 
I kept watching the ISOs down there to see if he showed up and I'd yeah. mentioned it, but he hasn't come in yet. So I don't know whether the back end crew has an easy way to do a patch across, but if you can, let's see if we can get the parade in. For those of you who no might not, live, but if Dave, oh. if, if David is, if he's available and if he comes back in or if he, if, if, if he hears this and decides he wants to play, we'd be happy to, as a little fun thing is just keep answering questions and we'll just put the parade up and you can see it. Maybe, maybe we'll ask him a couple of questions too. Absolutely. That'd be great. For those of you who don't know, our dear friend David Brady is in New York City. He lives there and he's right near the start of the parade uh, route. So for years now, he's popped into the show just uh, for a little bit to give us a kind of a highlight of the staging area of the floats and things like that of the parade. So we're hoping to get a little of that. We'll see if we do or not. Let's go on to the next question in the intro. Next question in from David Paskin in Miami, Florida. Thanks to office hours, I can no longer join a Zoom meeting without my good camera, mic and lights. Do you ever join a Zoom anymore without your best setup? He's been spoiled a little bit, as have many of the rest of us. I know I don't feel like I'm properly dressed unless I have my Blackmagic camera up. Let's start with Alex. Very rarely. Like, I will admit that it's very rare for me to jump on a on a um, Zoom without it. And, and if I jump on a Zoom from my phone, you'll see that I'll almost never uh, turn on the video. Like it's just, it's just, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to be frustrated by it. I don't want to, you know, be whatever. So I, 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 I will admit that I, um, I, I usually use Zoom as an audio interface if I'm, if I'm not here. Guy. Yeah, it depends on the meeting, you know, uh, it, but it is tough. Uh, even at the office, I don't have quite this setup. And so I'd rather come in from home. But a couple of times in after hours, I'll come in from my kitchen with the Facebook portal. And it's just an all-in-one device. It's the newer 15-inch. Uh, Mitch has given me some props on how good it can can look. Um, but also just using the phone, you know, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll use my phone and pop into after hours. If there's a communication that needs to be communicated, I mean, it's... Sure, it doesn't look perfect, but if the message is sent and received, then I think you're you're fine. Mitch Hill. I've saved my uh, 920 and internal microphone for people that I don't like. There it is. <laughs> so if I don't like them, they're going to get the uh, the bad feed. That's an interesting picture. Where did you come up with that from? Was it all of ABC's like best of or something? No, it's... Um, Oh, I'm showing the wrong picture. I'm so sorry. I'm showing the, absolutely the wrong thing. Let me go back to it. Uh, right. That's not what I wanted. Okay. Anyhow, I should like the last supper, supper with Jed and Granny. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. I was trying to show that. That's yeah, my okay. night yeah. No, that go. didn't work at all. That, <laughs> that didn't work at all. Yeah, it was, it was so weird. So let's do? just keep going. Let's get, yeah, Harshid, let's make some sense out of all this, please, for us. Well, that one just threw me off. But uh, yeah, so the microphone is usually a big thing that I've learned to, to just have around even on my phone, sometimes just hooking it up to USB. Uh, I just find that gives it so much better quality. So uh, a little bit of lighting has helped uh, that I've learned over time, uh, the few months that I've been here. So turning on just basic lights in my room and then making sure I zoom myself or frame myself to the camera, you could get quite a quite a bit done. And I mean, this is a Brio web camera looking at me through, but you know, it. There, there's definitely opportunities, uh, doesn't matter what entry level you're in, but if you have someone coming in on a phone call and then you have someone coming in with a microphone on a Zoom call, you're going to definitely hear the difference in, in audio and intelligibility, intelligibility, excuse me. So I feel that uh, microphone setups and all of this stuff that we, we kind of 
talk about is quite important and uh, perhaps on the road USB microphones are more important and uh, if I could hook up my interface as I bought an SSL2 because the hurricane uh, took out my lights and I couldn't join the pre-show part to get in uh, so I, I ran away from the plugging in the interface or mixer into the wall rather than uh, plug in the USB bus and uh, you're good to go fair enough next question Paul Valhus, or Wallace, sorry, Paul, I'm so used to saying it that way, from Austin, Texas. What case is recommended to best protect an iPad screen and back, especially the new 11th gen models, yet still produce good audio and video recordings? Alex Lindsay. Yeah, I mean, on the on the far end, there's the Pelican case. There's actually a Pelican case for your iPad. So if you really want to protect it from everything that's possible from a production perspective, I don't know how it protects it as much, but um, the small rig, remember, makes an, a cage, much like the ones we've used for our phones. Small rig has a tablet cage, actually, that you can um, put around it. And that's going to that's gonna give you lots of mounts if you're trying to do production. Uh, I, you know, again, if you, if something hit the screen itself or the back, it might not work as well. I don't know. Um, I can't even remember the name, but I think there's two kinds of cases that I tend to use for iPads. One are the small ones that kind of flip over and just provide front screen protection. That's great if you're just putting your iPad in a in a suitcase or something like that and want to make sure the screen has a little extra. The one I use on my desk, and my iPad Pro comes in this monster, it is very heavy duty. It has a little stand on the back. It has the place that the pencil goes. And in this particular case, the reason that I like this is that I'm often using the iPad in the field for note taking or something else. And it's got one of those hand straps. And I find this incredibly useful if I need to take the pencil out, take notes on it, or if I'm using it as an extra monitor or a teleprompter or something like this, having a really robust, really heavy rubber um, complete protection case so that God forbid you're out in a crowd, you get jostled and it falls down. You want the best chance of your device surviving. Uh, there are quite a few companies who make these, but uh, the bigger, the better for me. Although I would hate this if I had to keep it on the case all the time. And I was using this for something like teleprompting or something where the smaller cases do a better job. I'm happy with that big rubber bumper thing. Uh, others might not be. Guy, your thoughts? Yeah, the phone is such a much better image quality with the 11 and later that I, I don't know if I'd use recommend using the iPad as, as much. I do have that cage that um, Alex recommended. It's the um, Axune is is the model, and it does have uh, the quarter 20s as well as... Um, actually, I don't I, think it has... I think small, rig, small Rig makes them as well. And, and I, um, An iPad one? Yeah, they make an iPad one. Oh, I haven't seen the small yeah. It has more uh, quarter 20s, <laughs> but it's oh, less wow. adjustable. I think it's going, yeah. Yeah. The problem with this one, and I'll have to look at the small rig, is that once you put it in there, you can't use the uh, keyboard any longer, and it takes a long time to take it back out. So if you're doing production and then you want to use the iPad for other things later, because I, I love using it with the keyboard, and it's it's a bummer to not have that extra port because the keyboard gives you an extra USB-C port for power, so you can actually run power plus an accessory like a, a mixed pre three or something. Alex, you want to weigh in back again? Yeah. And, and the other one to look at, of course, is um, the the kind of the leader in a lot of these things are OtterBox if you're just looking to protect it. So OtterBox makes a uh, uh, the uh, um, the Defender series, I believe. And I don't know. I'm looking for it. I'm trying to see if they have it for the uh, the most recent one. I think it's. Yeah, I'm not sure. But they make a, they they do make them for iPads, and I'm just not sure if it's the, the most the most recent one because right now it's listed as the sixth generation, fifth and fourth and third. 
Um, so yeah, so we'll take a look at that. All right, we got a couple more questions before we turn on to our second hour question. So next one. Douglas Carmichael is here. Mark Zuckerberg mentioned Meta grossly miscalculated the growth of online commerce and communication, and thus they overhired. Do you think this is an inertia on the consumer's part, or is this a limitation of current technology? Alex? You know, I, I think that it's it's just hard to figure out exactly how your product is going to serve the market. And I think that I think that Facebook, I believe, really overplayed the idea that people want to buy stuff inside of Facebook when most of us buy stuff inside of Amazon. <laughs> so, you know, so, so, you know, I think that that's the, you know, like the idea of, uh, you know, I think that the, the, the linkages are really hard to figure out. So you think that you can overcome the linkage of the fact that, man, do you have to have a great product for me to buy something outside of Amazon or B&H or DV store? You know, like those are like, those are like these big sweet water. Those are like the big four that like, you know, those, but, but that, those are the, but if you're not, you know, if you have an individual product and then doing it inside of my social network was not, I know for me, was just not something I was interested in doing, you know, and I'd get all these ads about, you can buy something from your neighbor or whatever. And I didn't care, you know, and, to, um, and so, so I think that it's a really, um, those are really difficult things to, you know, to work through. Um, so, so I think that that, I think they just, it, I think, it, I don't think it's that the market wasn't there. I think that the linkage to the market was difficult. So, so I think that's the, that's the issue. Yeah. There's been a lot of money invested in things that just have not gone as everybody expected. And Which I just happens that, a lot. I mean, yeah, a lot of companies, you know, Apple will just do it quietly where they'll, they'll build an entire product, spend a hundred million, 200 million, a billion dollars on it, and then just turn it and just plow it into the ground without anyone ever seeing it. Facebook got to do it in front of everybody. <laughs> so, so, you know, so the, so, so, you know, so it's, it's not, you know, it, it, you know, I think that there's this idea that other companies don't just go down these horrible you know not, not not horrible but just you know like google spent billions on g plus and then and then or and and everything and half of the other things that google spent billions on and then just closed them down because that that wasn't the thing that that moved forward so i don't think that there's any i mean you know they they miscalculated and they they they're now making that correction and i think that the other side of miscalculating and over hiring is miscalculating and under hiring and then missing a window, you know? So I think that you're better off as a big company, especially a big publicly traded company, you're better off over um, estimating hiring people and trying to, to, to take advantage of that market than you are saying, no, oh, that's not going to be a big deal, you know, because, you know, the Microsoft didn't think that the web was going to be a big deal and that became a real problem. For them. <laughs> you know, so, so the, you know, so, so that, you know, so those are the kind of things that, it's much easier for a big company to just miss the boat. So throwing a whole bunch of people at the boat is usually a better solution. And even if it wasn't successful, uh, I think it's still a better a better choice than than the other direction. Also shows that leadership is hard. You're getting into things that what I think everybody else is going to want is this, and it turns out they don't want that at all. And we've seen examples of that over and over throughout history. Uh, let's move on to the next question. From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Anyone watching the 96th annual Macy's Day Parade? Who has the best coverage, CBS, NBC, or David Brady on his cell phone? Best float award goes to... Yeah, I think David shut down over there, so we missed uh, the opportunity to see some of that. Uh, Mitch, you have thoughts? I think the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man was my favorite. <laughs> float awards. Let's move on to the next question. Next one in from David Paskin in Miami, Florida. What is the one piece of gear app that you are most thankful for? Alex. I mean... Uh, 
the one I use the most is the iPhone. <laughs> like we can, we can talk about a lot of other things, but, but the thing that is the, that of the gear that I use, um, that I have with me all the time is probably, probably the, uh, the iPhone. Mitchell. Um, my Condor blue, uh, HDMI adapter. Okay. It makes a wonderful some... sound and it has okay. a blue cable in it. All right. I'm going to say my laptop. I mean, I know it's just prosaic because we all have one, but this thing and the its forebearers really did change my life. And the fact that I can sit here in my desk and talk to all my friends every day uh, and and so much of my business, so much of everything else has centered around that one piece of technology as my portal to personal satisfaction, business satisfaction and a whole bunch of things. When I didn't have one back in 1984, uh, I had a different life. And I think most of the technology advancement I've had has come through having a personal computer eventually migrated to a laptop that is my tool of choice every day. Uh, Harshid, and then Guy. For uh, Windows side, I, I got to thank my screen reader for uh, giving me the opportunity to be on the panel and know what's going on. So I would say my screen reader, uh, ZoomText Fusion, would be uh, for magnification screen reading capabilities. Uh, my phone is also another solid piece of equipment for anything mobile. Uh, if I want to look at what's the temperature or read a, uh, a menu or something, I could open up an app like Google Lookout Assisted Vision. I could read the menu, read information, and go home my merry way. I think a lot of us are appreciative for that technology because it allows you to be here and help us and, and thankfully. So very cool. Uh, and Guy. Yeah, I'd have to say it's that iPad Pro 12.9 inch, uh, especially with the cellular in it. Uh, as much as I travel, it's been just a lifesaver. And every morning I use it notes just to do some some work. And then uh, we have something called NetSuite that we use to run our business. And then we use Zoom for phone. So it's like literally everything's right there on that thing. And then I can actually log into my cloud instances and I can control powerful PCs up in the cloud with it which is crazy. So it, Microsoft Remote Desktop it, um, works well, very well on an iPad. Uh, and then there's Teradici as well that uh, can control their computer. So it's a really slick setup with the 12.9 and the keyboard. The keyboard's clutch. I mean, it's. I think the keyboard's better than the MacBook Pro uh, keyboard. Uh, my, I have an older 16-inch i9, and I like the keyboard on the iPad Pro better. So it's it's a slick setup. Cool. And I just noticed on the panel that we've got a, probably a post feed of some of David Brady's shots. So uh, let's see if we can. Oh, there we go. So there that's you the are. Whole, that's the whole replay. That's <laughs> the whole replay. So you've yeah. rewound it. David's here with us. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. I, I missed the call to action to get on live. But this is my replay. I was streaming both to After Hours and my own Facebook page just for fun and family. So a uh, quick download, and here it is. This is pretty much the kickoff because uh, there's baby Yoda coming around the corner. So Awesome. Sorry for the, it's all jittery, and that's just me being a goon. But uh, Oh, no, wait a second. I'm seeing two different feeds. The ones that we're sending out to the uh, to the show looks like a more stable shot. It's got a crane in it. And then there's yours, I see, with the white floating balloon on. It's not punched up. Right. So if I throw it. That's there we me. go. That one. Yeah. That's my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. From, I, I, from your perspective, how did this parade compare to the others that you've seen? It, it was really quite uh, secure. Uh, they closed my street, and there was a whole crew of production gear down at the end of the block. Um, 
I noticed a big sky crane, like over the middle of Central Park West with a big box lens camera up there. And you'll see it in some of the shots, I think. I pointed it out to Mitch. Um, attendance was really good. The weather was perfect. Uh, it was nice, low wind and nice, bright blue skies. And Baby Yoda was flying with uh, little complications. There he is, right on our screens. Nice coverage. All right, I think we're going to let your your feed yeah. run while we take care of this last one, and maybe through the discussion, uh, we've got two more questions, and then our discussion of uh, okay. stuff. Well, so, I'll sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, and then pop in if you see something show up on that feed that you want to explain. Just uh, pop in and do so. Let's hit to the next question uh, from Stan. Ch <laughs> Sorry. Yoda flying by is blowing my mind. Uh, from Stan Chan in San Francisco, California. How useful is your Scorpio, Alex? Would you have purchased it again today? Alex? Yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> like, and and it, it's great on so many levels. It is a full-on mixer that is in a tiny little box. So there's tons of routing. There is, uh, you know, the ability to drop things into Dante. Um, what I, I use it for the Michael Krasny show, and it's super useful because I just throw those mics in. I've got great preamps. I can then we send that actually upstairs to um, record a via Dante. Um, and so, and it's got, you know, just, and every time I open it, I find more things that I didn't know how it did. So, um, so I, I, I don't, you know, definitely don't regret having it. <laughs> like it's a really, it's a really great machine. All right. I think that was the last of the pre-questions for uh, up. And now, even though we're 15 minutes past, we knew today was going to be kind of a relaxed day. So uh, the promise today was we were going to talk about why is it called that? What are the names of some things that um, commonly are used in production or anything else you want to talk about? Uh, the industry is full of jargon. And I noted the, the list that was put on the why is it called that billboard today included things like scrim and grip and... Uh, there's just a whole bunch of Foley and things like that. So if you're interested in learning about a particular term, please put it in the Q&A system. Um, if not, let me just start. Since the first one that was listed up there is Scrim, this to me is an example of how things move in from other industries and become part of our discussion. And sometimes the meaning of them kind of alters depending on the part of the industry you're in. When I first heard the term scrim, it was in theater and it was a drape in the theater that they would bring down that was uh, usually a fabric and it was transparent and it would allow kind of a veiled look at the, the next part of the stage behind. So you'd have a tableau or something. And that's what I thought a scrim was. As I got into more lighting, I realized that they use scrims in lighting and they mean something different. Often a translucent, big white or uh, netted thing that's going to diffuse and or drop down the intensity of light. And then I bought my first serious lighting kit, which was an airy kit. Um, that scrim was what they used for the metal round discs that you could put in uh, i had a my first kit was two airy 650s and two 300s and they had these little metal circles that had uh grids on them made of wire because the lights were hot and so that became a scrim and i guess the reason i'm saying this is because the language grows and it changes and it's also regional and so as you get into production sets and things like that you'll start hearing this terminology and you'll need to kind of figure out where it fits in your world so that said anybody else have any thoughts uh let's see you want to go to the net first let's just go to the first question and see what people on the outside are interested in sure Watch. tommy shantz has the first question here st paul minnesota is where he is um how and why did you choose office hours as a name for this contraption 
Alex is the only one who can answer that. Yeah, well, it wasn't supposed to last this long. And I didn't expect so much contribution, to be honest. So I think that one of the things that, so where it really came from was that I had been working on virtual events for the last decade. And I really felt like they're the future. I, I strongly feel that physical events are exclusionary. They exclude 99.99999% of the world. I believe that the future is based on us getting past, you know, being constrained by time and space and being constrained to those things. And so I, I just really felt like we need to move forward. And I've been trying to do that for 10 years. When COVID started, I saw both uh, a problem to solve, which is that no one else is going to, not many other people have done a couple thousand events that are virtual and they're going to have the same problems I had for the first couple hundred. And then that's going to make my idea look bad. Like, you know, like that was it. Like, like, like literally I just was worried that people are going to screw this opportunity up. And the second thing I saw was there was an opportunity to really, how do we build a big community around the world? How do I, you know, and, and I was, you know, and, and, and figure out how to do this together. Um, I did think that it was going to lean much more on my shoulders just to answer everybody's questions so that I could keep them moving forward and make sure that they were successful. And I had not done that with Hangouts. I had held all the information in. I didn't want to, I didn't want anyone to compete with me. <laughs> so I wouldn't tell anybody how to do anything because I had to make payroll, you know? And so as a payroll is a, is a, is a, is a big fixing factor where you just go, I'm not going to tell anyone anything because I have to pay, pay for it. I didn't have to do that this time. And the other opportunity I had was that, um, that I didn't have any, uh, um, I, did, I knew where I'd be because of COVID. I knew that I wouldn't be traveling. I wouldn't be on the road. I wouldn't have to try to figure this out and I could just do it at home. I figured it would last three to six months, which is why I did it every day. I was like, but there's not much time. I got to align everything and get everybody like on, on the right path so they can be successful with online events. And um, anyway, so, uh, so that's, that's where I just figured I'm opening up office hours. I'm just going to answer all your questions to make sure that people are successful. And again, what I underestimated was the value of, or the, the, the number of people and who the people were going to be and the quality of the people that would show up. Um, I vastly underestimated. And um, so it's been a much bigger thing. I probably wouldn't name it Office Hours <laughs> again because uh, just it's just a very common name because I just did it as a kind of a, literally, I, I didn't know if I would do it more than a week. Like I was like, if nobody shows up, I'm not going to do this again. You know, like, like in, and people just kept showing up every day for 900 sometimes <laughs> we're all here together. So, so anyway, so, so that's, that's, but that's the name was not, uh, not thought of and not expected to, to go as far as it has. So that's, that's the answer to that question. Cool. Uh, well, this, so there you go. The definitive answer from the person who named it. Let's move on to the next question. From Simon Ray in Shrewsbury, UK. Um, I've always wondered where the name Gobo came from when it comes to masking lights to project shapes and patterns. So when I was starting, the term of art was uh, mostly cookie. Uh, and that comes from a longer term called cucoloris. And they were usually wooden panels that somebody had cut out a pattern on to break up a light and make it look a little more interesting. Um, I didn't hear Gobo for some years. And I heard it when, when, some instruments came out from companies like Source4 and others that had the ability to take that round glass or metal shape that you can put in a hard edge projector, like a Leco ellipsoidal light, and rotate it. And so I always thought in the back of my mind that the gobo was something to do with the movement of it. Now, I could be entirely wrong. And the reason I'm even saying this is because this is typically, I think, my, my career in learning jargon uh, has been a, a whole history of this. You hear something used on set and you go, why is it called that? You just know it is. 
you maybe have time to do a little bit of asking somebody, why is it called that? And they'll often look to you and say, I don't know, we just call it that. Um, beyond that, I have no idea why gobo became a, a, a synonymous term for the small shaped patterns yeah, that go in a light. Alex, you I, have to know that? Yeah, I think it actually stands for go between optics. So it goes between okay. the things that are there. So it's um, so it, it is a go between sense. from the light to the to where it's going through. But I think gobo, it's go between optics is is what it originally stood for. There you go. That's very cool. I see. I learned something too today. Let's continue and see if we can learn some more. Next question. Uh, for Vern, for, for, excuse me. <laughs> uh, Paul Wallace asks uh, from Austin, Texas, what is the meaning of gaff tape? Uh, so if you need to know what gaffer's tape is, you need to know what a gaffer was. And I've, I've read up on a couple of different terms. Uh, the one that I enjoy the most, but I'm not sure is the correct one, is that the hook that some alighting technicians uh, used to adjust lights in the early days looked very much like a gaff that you would find on a boat to like pull large fish on it. That, that's kind of romantic and nice. There's also some terms, the gaffer, who is an official position on a crew, the head of the lighting department, uh, that came from a, a British expression and the gaffer was like the boss or something like that. Now, those are the two that I've heard. Again, I'm not sure which of those is more correct. And somebody may have heard something different and somebody on the panel may have said something, but those are the two that I remember. And then gaff tape obviously is a specialist tape that a lighting professional will use because it is one of the most universally useful things you can have on a set. Mitch, you had some thoughts? Yeah, you can gaff a job, and that means that's the gaffer gaffing a job, and working uh, with the gaffer could be the best boy. Well, yeah, that those are those are actual Hollywood positions, and they are on the call sheets. And so, a gaffer, uh, the best boy, is their first assistant. They're in the electrical department. Uh, they also um, they're very strict divisions as to who can do what on a union set. So. Um, that is, in, if you're on a big production in Hollywood, departments are very careful about you don't touch things that are in the province of another department. So if you're on the electrical crew and somebody says you need to move some of the camera equipment that are in, is in the grip department, you actually can't. It's not just you shouldn't, but you can't do it. There will be, you know, some shop sewer will pull you aside and go, you're not supposed to touch that. That's not in your area. And uh, that's only available for the people who are qualified to do that. Um, a, a movie set, any kind of a big production set, is not a place where you should grab, touch, or move things if you don't know what you're doing. It, it, there's safety issues installed, involved and a lot of other things. And just the hierarchy of sets are very structured because people who do things are qualified to do things and the union regulations require that. Mitch, you had some more thoughts? Yeah, adding on to that, when I worked at WFIL in Philadelphia as a boss jock, I used to go down to the TV studio for WPVI, which was our sister station. And uh, WPVI's, uh, uh, the action news set was a great place to go. One time I noticed that there's one person to move the camera, another person to operate the camera. I don't know if Absolutely. that's Look, and that happened. My wife worked in TV, and at one point, uh, she came out of the newspaper business. And when she was a young copy editor in the newspaper, 
she was desperate to get her copy and they used to print them off the computer on somebody's desk and it would come on a printer like two floors away. So she went down and she realized that's the copy for my nest thing. And there was a pair of scissors hanging on a chain above the copy. And she actually thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm down on deadline. I have to get this done. And she cut the newspaper, the printer copy off with the, and then ran away. She got called into the office and said, you can't do that. That is a different task for union designation and you are not allowed to touch the scissors and cut the copy. And in structured systems, these kind of, you know, we laugh about them and that should be silly. Why not? But there's a long history of why departments have fought for their benefits and their, their particular things. And the, the rigid structure of sets can be something you really do have to pay attention to if you want to be welcomed in and, and not make mistakes. Mitch, you had thoughts? Yeah, it's part of the chain of command that's so very important in the Hollywood system. And what your uh, wife got was what's called a grievance. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's part of the training, right? They were saying to her as a young woman who was first time in a official large newspaper newsroom, there is a way we do things here and you can't just make unilateral decisions and do it. Nobody really thought she damaged the world by cutting off a piece of paper from a wire machine, but she had to be brought into the system and understand where these boundaries live. Sometimes you get that little, hey, <laughs> I've had it happen to me. You know, hey, don't do that. Here's why. And now you know better for next time. Next question. From Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, again, uh, what is the origin of the word podcast? Alex. Well, the person that takes the uh credit for it. I don't know if it's really his, it's Adam Curry, of course. And, you know, he just put a name on it. A lot of us were talking about them being internet shows, RSS, audio feeds. No one really had, and this is really why it's important. You know, people will say, well, we want to be more accurate. You know, um, like we talk about the Belfast method and someone will want to have something that's more accurate, but more accurate doesn't necessarily mean that it, it has a ring to it, you know, and the ring oftentimes makes it easier for it to grow. And so um, I think that Adam Curry was looking for a name that he could throw on it that, you know, because the primary person that could listen to podcasts, because what happened was, is it was an RSS feed that it would download and you could have it downloaded directly, you know, and then feed it into your iPod. Um, and, uh, and so the, that's why it was like, it could be sent to your iPod and the primary person that could listen to it easily, you could listen to it in other ways, but really the market was for a pod and an iPod. And so that's why, they threw it into, and, you know, Leo tried to fight it by calling it neck casts, <laughs> you know, but it never, never really, uh, never really took off. Just, just didn't, didn't have the same ring to it. So it, it, it's, a, I think it's a great lesson in naming is that you got to have something that rolls off the tongue that people may not know, but it, it just has the right consonants and vowels and stuff like that. It really isn't, it, it's not oftentimes it being accurate. It's just it being easy to say and it being the right thing to say. And, and a lot of people called it a lot of different things for a little while. And that's the one that won. There you go. Interesting. Uh, next question. And it's from Chris Clark in Tempe, Arizona. Please talk about the rich trove of metaphors that populate this field. For example, streaming, workflow, mixer. Mitch, take us away. I, I want to just stop and just say, these aren't just limited to uh, the United States, USA. It's, uh, there's a lot of different terminology that extends beyond ar around the world. For example, in England, uh, the person that uh, we refer to as the TD, or mixer maybe, uh, is the vision mixer. Um, for example, if you are an uh, on-air talent and you're a DJ, for example, on the radio, 
in England, that person would be a presenter. Um, actually, a better term. I like it much better than DJ, disc jockey. So uh, there's a there's a huge number of different phrases, and they all have their genesis probably on the technological invention of that particular device or thing that makes it possible. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I remember the first time I said DP to somebody who was from the English system, and they said, no, that's a lighting cameraman. And they're just across the pond and in different cultures, lots of different things. Alex? Yeah, it's interesting how you get into this back and forth. Like, for instance, for us, a technical director, um, a in, in a pure video form and broadcast, a technical director is someone who's pushing the buttons on the on the switcher and they're cutting it. Again, as Mitch said, in in the Europe, it's it's a vision mixer, which I think makes way more sense than 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 technical director, and especially compounded by the fact that a technical director in events is not someone pushing the buttons; it's someone managing all the technical aspects of the event. So they're dealing with the power, they're dealing with the AV flow, they're dealing. So you you, you know, so the problem is a technical director can mean a lot of you know, different things as you start to, as you start to work through that. And so, um, yeah. And, and, you know, even things like we were, one of the things that Chris asked about streaming, streaming means a lot of different things you know, it can be HLS is technically not streaming, even though that's how you watch, that's how you're watching this stream is HLS. So we're streaming it to you through YouTube, but we're sending, you know, we're sending, we're streaming RTMP, uh, to YouTube, but it's being handed to you in small little packets of, 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 you know, it's like, it's not streaming to your computer. It's saving a bunch of video files to your computer and uh, over and over and over again and giving them a time of life. So they, they only stay there for when, when you need them and then they get thrown away or it keeps them in the server and then you can rewind. Um, but they're not really streaming as much as they are sending you lots of files, you know, so, um, so a lot of those things can, you know, be difficult to kind of, um, figure out there. Nice. Next question. And it's from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, what is the origin of the word microphone? Mitch, you want to take a shot at it? That's a pretty easy one. I mean, I didn't know going into, going into this, but micro and phone. I mean, Alexander Graham Bell, uh, I guess, is one of the first people to invent the phone or the telephone. And uh, they're both, uh, you know, uh, versions of the same thing. So micro might, means maybe a small uh, telephone. Paul, you should have asked your buddy Alexander uh, what he meant by that. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense to me, a small version of something that transduces sound because we've had megaphones, which are not electronic, and then we have, uh, you know, something smaller that transduces sound. One of the most interesting things I looked up once upon a time, somebody asked me why lavaliers are called lavaliers, and there's actually a, an ancient story behind it that apparently, from what I don't know, it was Wikipedia or some encyclopedia said that um, the French king Louis, one of the Louis, gave his mistress, Madame Lavalier, a big jewel that hung uh, around her neck. And then when they were trying to figure out in the early days of broadcast what to call those lavaliers that were huge things like that, that hung on like Dave Garraway on the Today Show, somebody came up, well, let's call it a lav, lavalier for Madame Lavalier. So you can see that people keep trying to figure out what is a historic reference? What is the, is there something in another industry that we can adapt to our industry and bring the name along with it? I, there's just a rich, complex history of what things are named, which is kind of why the subject has always fascinated me. Let's move on to the next question. David Paskin, Miami, Florida, asks, why is a key, a chroma, luma, called a key? Mitchell. I'm going to take a shot at this one. I think it has to do with the key color involved in making that chroma or luma key, uh, red, green, or blue. So I would say that uh, my best guess would be a key is 
something that's specifically attached to the green, for example, because it's a key that inserts in the lock and unlocks the uh, uh, the actual effect. Hmm, that's interesting because, uh, and the only thing that sets off in my mind is that there is a, such a thing as a key grip, and that indicates the chief grip in charge of something. So key is also a word that is used to denote a primary participant. And so you wonder if the fact that a chroma key deals with one of the primary colors, there might be some linkage there. Uh, like a lot of these things, you know, I'm just trying to think my way through why did it happen? It did happen that way and it's universal in the language, but I, I know nothing beyond that, just speculation. Next question. Paul Wallace, uh, Wallace in Austin, Texas asked, the trademark of Apple, Apple IIe, Apple IIc, Lisa, Mac, Apple II, Profile HD, Mouse, iPad, iPhone, Apple Works, Floppy Drive. What are they? <laughs> well, you'd have to ask somebody who was around in the origin of Apple. I do know that there's a famously... Uh, they wanted a simple name. And I think this was a conversation that I've read about. I don't remember all the details of it, but really, literally, it was Steve Jobs and uh, Steve Wozniak kind of figuring out with a couple of their friends in those early days. I don't remember who they were, um, but they settled on Apple as something that there's a story behind it. I just don't remember too much about it. Mitch, do you remember anything else about it? I remember Lisa was uh, Steve Jobs' girlfriend. Or well, daughter, yeah, daughter, the daughter. Yeah, daughter. Yeah, I think it. it's, that's his daughter. Uh, once they got the Apple name and the Apple one and became the that West Coast Computer Fair kind of hit and then eventually moved into the original Apple IIs and they started to take off. Um, I, I remember that first logo was kind of a Sir Isaac Newton reference too. They had a complex... Uh, uh, complex logo of a figure kind of like the Vitruvian man kind of figure under a tree. And I think there was something to do with that Isaac Newton kind of reference as well. Uh, but that's dim in my mind. So let's, let's go on to the next one. From Brody Hefner in New York city in audio, what is a shepherd tone? And that one I have never heard of. Does anybody, has anybody heard a shepherd tone? Yeah, I would, I would probably ask that one during the audio. <laughs> it's yeah. an audio tone, but I think that, I don't think we're the right ones to answer that question. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, let's move on to the next one. From Greg Gibson in Washington, D.C. After this episode, I'll be ready for a game of broadcast trivial pursuit. Who's in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. the, there, there's, boy, this is a jargon-filled industry. And as I say, it kind of, uh, you know, moves and morphs. I, I've been surprised. I was, uh, in fact, when I was looking up a few things for this, I thought, you know, I wonder where the term stinger came from. And I always thought it was just an extension cord. And it turns out that in looking at it, there was actually a slightly more in-depth reason they call them stingers. And that's that on some sets, the electrical department in getting ready for a move of the people in would leave one hot plugged in extension cord. And that was the stinger. So when somebody showed up on set with a cart or something like that, there was always one hot line. So it, it wasn't every extension cord. It was a specific to do a function extension cord. And so even now, many decades after I've been in that, I keep refining my understanding of how some of these terms came out. Mitch, your thoughts? My favorite one is, what's a C-47? 
Yeah. Uh, and there's, we've talked about that on the show before. Uh, for those of you who do not hang out around sets, that is the name for a common wooden clothespin. And I have heard multiple stories. And I think Alex's origin story that I, he expressed once was different than mine. I had heard that there was a catalog where uh, a lot of the grips and gaffers and people who need those on lighting, you know, because a clothespin is very useful, particularly if you've got a hot light and it's got barn doors. A clothespin is the perfect device for attaching a piece of gel to the front of a barn door or something like that. Uh and I had heard it was the number, the ordering number from the catalog, C-47. I'll give you a bag of item C-47. Again, that's what I heard. That doesn't mean that is necessarily true. And there could be other origin stories for that that are totally different. Uh, and that's, you know, a lot of these things we just don't know. They, they've, they've been subsumed by time. My favorite out of that is um, actually... Um, MOS, there's a term in video, uh, mit out sound. And literally I was told there was a German director once in one of the early days of Hollywood who went, I know I want this shot mit out sound. And <laughs> he wrote down MOS and that stuck forever. Is that the actual story? Who knows? But it's certainly a charming tale. Let's move on to the next one. Next question in from James Babbitt in San Diego. Why is the grip called a grip? Um, that's a good question. Anybody want to take a shot at that? Why is a grip called a grip? So a grip in, oh, Mitchell's going to take a shot at it. That's all right. And, uh, you're welcome to it too, Bill. Uh, it just makes sense that a, a grip is a person that moves stuff. Uh, if they're moving it, they're likely holding a grip of some kind to move it around. So, uh, the term is, uh, uh, grip that light fixture or whatever, uh, or grip that case or that Pelican case. Um, I think it has a lot to do with uh, the ability to move whatever it is that they're moving around the set. Yeah, and and on a set, grip gear, which is a huge category, is all the mechanical things for holding, positioning, elevating lights. So it is part of the lighting department. Uh, you also, it's gone beyond that. So now you get a grip truck. And one of the primary things that a grip truck, if you hire one to be on your location, will have are all these devices, C-stands, uh, grip arms, grip heads. These are all things that are common in the industry. But um, it's also got into a lot of other specialist stuff. So it's possible to have lighting instruments and fixtures and things like that on a grip truck. You will find apple boxes and wooden things made. It's anything having to do with uh, solving problems on the set as to the execution of a lighting plot or even a sound plot in some cases. Uh, you will find some sound stuff like blankets and things like that, that the sound department will use to, to muffle things on a grip truck. And uh, I don't know if there's anything more than the fact that these were the people who, you know, had these devices that hold things and eventually that got turned into grip. Uh, I've never heard anything more, more definitive than that. That's my education and it was. Let's go on to the next question. From Kenneth Jones in Seattle, Washington, asking, Power bus, ground bus, signal bus, Q bus, Greyhound bus. How is it that they all share this name? Mitchell, you want to take a shot at this? Um, well, they don't all mean the same thing. Obviously, a bus is a, a vehicle that uh, travels with lots of people in it. But uh, I think it has to do with uh, a lot of uh, electrical uh, terminology. When you have a uh, a bus in an electrical cabinet, it's the main connector. Uh, it's usually a big, solid piece of brass or uh, a metal. And uh, it's sort of 
kind of made its way into the audio side of the business as that bus being the main connection is the main stereos or the main bus that uh, that's being connected. That seems to make sense to me. Yeah, I always heard it kind of like that. It, it, it's the interface between two circuits. And I think even in uh, semiconductor design, when you've got two circuit paths and they're getting toward each other and they have to interact with each other, that that separation or not separation in between them is generally called a bus. Things come in this bus and they're going to be switched to or otherwise routed to a different bus or a different set of circuits and things like that. That that moment in the middle, I think, is often what they refer to as a bus. Uh, but it's it's across a lot of industries as well. Yeah, I've, I've heard that term with mixing. It busts that over to the uh, stereo mix or whatever. Yeah, there's an um, eight bus also, mixer or a four bus yeah. mixer. And that means how many pathways do you have out of this or that you can connect to other things, um, common term. But I've also heard it in the computer industry, you know, there, here's the power bus circuits and they're all in this area to do this job. And next to it is data path circuits. And that's, they may be running to a different bus. So it's a pretty universal term uh, the way I've heard, heard it. Let's move on to the next one. Douglas Carmichael's here with a question in the meta layoff email. Mark Zuckerberg said the layoff employees would receive their November RSU vesting. What is an RSU? I don't know that. Anybody else have any experience with that? Alex? Uh, it's a restricted stock. This means they're going to get oh. their stock that they were they were due. That's all that's all it means. Okay, so it was a classification of stock awards that they were uh, that was restricted to employees or something like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Next. Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas asked who named Byte Magazine? Bits and Bytes. That's a clever name. Uh, in digital math, uh, bits are the lowest common denominator. Eight bits is a byte. And uh, megabyte make, comes from that. I think that is just a, a technical term for those packet sizes in digital electronics. Uh, unless anybody else has any additions over that, that's the way I always understood Oh, okay. We'll move on. Jonas Dattel from Stuttgart, Germany asked, so where does the name gallery come from and who even knows what it means? <laughs> I guess he's talking about like the Zoom gallery, Alex. Yeah, I think that um, in the, I think the origin of it was actually a balcony. Um, so it was a place that you could sit over top and see everything. So I think that that, you know, is the, and I think that obviously, so I think standing, like, I think that's like middle English or something, but it's a, it is a, ga it, the gallery is, is where you'd stand up above. And so you see a lot of different things. And I think also, of course, we have art galleries where you see a lot of different images. So I think that's kind of how people thought through it. That makes perfect sense to me. Next question. Craig McFarlane from Boston, Massachusetts. When crossing different industries, have you noticed how the abbreviation ISO refers to very different things? Yeah, Alex? Yeah, it does get confusing. <laughs> so, so ISO can be, you know, a, a, a term of structure, but it can also be us grabbing individual channels. So when we say ISO, if you talk to an engineer sometimes that comes from a different industry, they're very confused by why you're saying, oh, I need eight ISOs. They're like, okay, what does that mean? So um, so that it, it definitely does have a couple different meanings depending where you're The One of the big ones that we argue about a lot, by the way, and this is only tangential to this, is is IEC versus, um, you know, so when people say I want an IEC cable, a lot of them, what they mean is they want the three-pronged cable that you see often for computer equipment that you put into the back and they say, they'll call that an IEC cable. That is not an IEC cable. It's a, it's a C13 
and the, and the thing that it goes into is a C14. These are IEC cables, and that is an IEC standard, but they are only one, the the one that I believe that you, um, you know, there's C15s and C12s and C, you know, there's lots of different ways that these things plug in. And um, you want to know what they are, because when you're asking for something you and when you're looking for it, you got to be pretty specific, but it's not it's not an IEC cable. It's a C13. Yeah, I've run across that, too. I always thought ISO was just um, a shortened form of isolated or isolation, and it's generic and you can use it for different things in different parts of the industry. And they do. So uh, interesting. Next next question. Douglas Carmichael asked in French, the hi-hat symbol is called the Charleston. Where would that have come from? Uh, I wonder if it's from the dance and the style of music that came out of the 1920s. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I have no more information than that bit of speculation. Uh, so unless somebody's a music major and or knows something about drums, uh, we're not going to get that one answered any more closely than that. Next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Mac? Macintosh? Uh, Mitchell? Come on, Paul. It's a, it's it's an apple. That's exactly why they called it that. It's a variation. Yeah, I think that's it. They wanted to separate that product line from the Apple IIe. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, we put jam on our toast, but where did the jam brand for jingles come from? Uh, I'm not sure I understand what the jam brand for jingles. Uh was that a company? Mitch, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, a jam in a band is when you get the group together and they play together. But in this particular instance where it refers to a jingle company called Jam, uh, it has two meanings. One is the one I just mentioned. The other is that the owner's initials are John A. Uh, forget his last name. <laughs> it's, but anyhow, something with an M, obviously. It's somebody with an M. It's like Pam's was the same way. Was ah, the there you go. For somebody. Okay. Yeah. Often uh, owners or people who start companies have a little secondary thing in there. I called it this because that was my nephew and I really like my nephew or something. There's a lot of possibilities there. Next question. From Brandon Buttram in Indianapolis, Indiana, asking Alex, I heard you use a term when calling the show on one of stage concerts you were experimenting with. What is the origin of woof? And how do you measure it? <laughs> Alex, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know where the origin is. You know, it is, uh, maybe it's that you, you'd have a big dog that would just say, that would wolf like, you've gone far as far as you need to go before I tack. You know, like, so so that, you know, like, like that. that's, a, you know, so the only guess I can make is that that's somehow connected is that would an be an awesome origin. Awesome going like, origin. stop, you know, so in, 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 when we term it in film, or in video, wolf means stop. So you'll go, hey, go a little further, go, 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 wolf. And and wolf just means that like that's that's where you it's it it is easy to understand. And, and this is where some of this happens. It's easy to understand over comms. It's easy to understand yelled out. It's easy to so a lot of these things have to have the, the way that you use consonants and, and verb, you know, consonants and vowels, it's easy to get to. It's not confused with a lot of other things and that's how a lot of this stuff starts to survive you could say stop right there but that could be caught up in a bunch of other things and so people like to shorten those into something that are easy to say that isn't going to be confused with another term that's easy to say that we use somewhere else um and so wolf uh, became that thing but wolf just means yeah you're, you've gone far enough you know so you know you're, and usually it's it's done when you're turning you're telling them to do something like you know turn it up turn it up turn it up wolf 
you know, and that just means you're you're at the right you're where you want to be. Mitchell, I heard it the, for the first time uh, in the late '80s when I was in the edit suite uh, doing something for a client, and they went woof, and I went what? And he said woof, and I said what? Huh? We also woof. We also say it when someone's telling a joke in front of a client that uh, is uh, inappropriate. You know, we'll woof. you'll hear one of us in the back like woof. Like, and that just, that is a whole nother meaning. And that is stop talking. Like, like whatever you're doing, like if you're, if you're ever on me and you're talking to someone and I go woof, like, and it feel, it will feel random. It means that you're either saying something you shouldn't say, you're telling a joke you shouldn't tell, you're giving information away that you shouldn't give away. And mostly it is shut your mouth. <laughs> so, 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 so like, you know, like, so if someone says wolf while you're talking, that means like that, that definitely means to stop. Same thing. The adjustment that you're making right now, stop. Like write them right there. So that's, that's, that's the other meaning. And people do make up their own for these kind of things. I had a client once and if we were in edit and I got things exactly right, uh, she'd say, boom, that meant stop, <laughs> just stop. That's perfect. That's what I was looking for. And, and so over and over again, I boom, boom. <laughs> okay. Well, you, can, you can tell people who don't, who aren't in the ecosystem because they have different words. And so if they're in the general ecosystem, they all kind of develop the same language. And if they're not, they develop their own language and, they're all ac accurate, but that's also like events and broadcast have separated. So they have a whole bunch of different ways of doing things because they're, they come from, you know, they, they hang out with each other in a different way. Cut. Uh, oh, Another big one. Cut. Yeah. Cut. Mm -hmm. Next uh, question. Paul Wallows in Austin, Texas. Who named RSS? Uh, it's an initialism for real simple syndication, but I don't know who it was that named it, Alex. Yeah, no, I, th I think that, and, and and what's interesting about acronyms like that is that people go backwards on the acronym. Like they, they, they'll sit there and look at the acronym and try to describe it. And they have to think about the smart people, the ones that make up names that we use over and over again, are generally people who think about how is it going to land? Like, how is it going to, is it going to be easy to say? Is it going to be easy to remember? Um, a lot of like, when you look at government or military things, they they try to describe it and they come up with a bunch of words, but it has to end up as laser or it has to end up as, you know, whatever it is that says something and feels like what they're doing. Um, or they'll just keep up coming up with synonyms until they get to what they want. So it's not like they, it just accidentally shows up that way. And if it, if it is something that you can't read, it means that they, that someone didn't do their job <laughs> because it, it just, you, you just can't remember it, you know? Next question to you're going to take us back into office hours history. Mitch, take it away. Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. Can we go through the latest office hour dollar valuations and what are you allowed to spend before January 1st on your gear? A guy once upon a time had a whole list of these uh, office hours functional dollar equivalents. I don't know if he still does. Alex, we'll start with you. There we go. No, there it is. There it is. Okay. It, it needs to be updated. Uh, this is I just pulled it up, but uh, yeah, Dogecoin isn't at that price, and I don't know if we're calling a Colin a Colin or a Roscoe or what we're calling these. And I think there's a Dougie now that's like a two hundred and fifty grand. I think uh, Adam Mitchell's can uh, correct me in the chat as to what this should be, mm -hmm. but uh, this is what we had. Up. Yeah. Ago. So if you were here in the beginnings of office hours, you were quite familiar with this as we talked about. The $7 one was a Fenwick or maybe it was a $15 was a Fenwick. Yeah. There was something. Um, it was a Fenwick. Was a Fenwick and then, and then the, yeah, mine is because that was the cost of Photoshop before they started renting it to us. And Mickey is because that's a U87 and, um, and uh, Charles, because that's the monitor that he has. Yeah. Right. <laughs> his, <laughs> his so anyway, yeah. Color accurate, perfectly balanced monitor. Uh, Mitchell. Yeah. And I made the list, uh, 1500 for my famous mute switch. There you go. 
Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Pixel cores? And that must be an Alex question because yeah, you were there. Yeah, it was uh, um, It was coined by uh, actually John Foster, who passed away. Um, and um, But John, uh, we were talking about it and it's kind of, you know, we were talking about trying to name it. Um, and, and, and we were trying to figure out what we're going to call it. It was three people or four people, <laughs> was, you know, and, uh, there were four of us that were like hanging out and, uh, we were trying to figure out what it was going to sound like. We were going to start and we, I mean, it was 25 at that point. Like we had had a couple people join and we were trying to figure out what it was called. And it said, well, it's kind of like pixel, but it's a lot like the Marine Corps, <laughs> like the way I was running it at the time. And so it was very, like, it was very, uh, like a core, like where there was very, a lot of structure and a lot of like, this is what we're going to do. And, and uh, very direct, and then, um, but then it was also dealing with pixels because we were doing computer graphics mostly, not video. And so he's like, "It's like a pixel core," and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to register that right now." <laughs> like so, so that was that was that was literally a conversation that lasted about twenty minutes, and that was the name. It wasn't a lot of a lot of reasoning. I just loved the name as it rolled out of my as it rolled off of his tongue. I was like, "Oh, that's that's the name." So, Perfect. There you go. I think it was a really good name. It, it really described things succinctly and beautifully next question paul wallace in austin texas what was the first ever tech word oh boy um fire mitch you want to weigh in it <laughs> that's what i was gonna say that was all <laughs> 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 yeah, like that, that's that's it Fredo, you want to get in on this my guess would be calendar <laughs> Is it, what was it? What was uh, Neanderthal for lunch break? <laughs> Let's move on. Prefabulated pre, pre amulet. There you go. Uh, <laughs> next question. Uh, from Douglas Carmichael. We talk about the FSHDR. That makes the panelists look good, but what does FS mean? Uh, Mitch? Full scale. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So uh, that's often. Um, a engineering term for loudless units, full scale and things like that. So full scale has a specific technical meaning, but it may be adapted to something else. Let's go to the next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, Ethernet. Who named it? Uh, someone whose grandmother was named Ethel, maybe. No, I don't. That's absolutely wrong. And I have no clue. And I'm just <laughs> making things up at this point. Anybody? Mitch, do you know? I think it's uh, part of the uh, uh, Xerox Park Labs uh, project that Xerox had Ethernet first. Ah, okay. Well, Ether, you know, plasma, Ether, up in the Ether, uh, there's probably somebody who felt that there was a really low resistance somewhere and that maybe that was a good thing. Uh, again, purely guessing. Uh, we have another question in here. We're, we're, we're almost finished with today, so take it away. Douglas Carmichael asking, why is the iconic... Duro meter called a Duro. That I think we can probably have an answer to because that is a specific thing. I'm pointing Go at ahead, one. Mitch. Uh, yes, Mike Duro uh, invented the uh, Duro meter, and that's why it's called a Duro. Hey, so I. Beautiful. <laughs> it is a beautiful, beautiful meter. It is lovely. That's right. For those of you who don't know it, if you're on video and not just listening mm -hmm. to the show, Mitchell has a set of Duro meters on over his uh, left-hand shoulder. They are the huge uh, arcing 
lit up lights that give you a really, really beautiful look at what your audio levels are, even from across the room. A lot of big studios, fancy studios had those to make sure. They, they make a stage version of that, Bill. It's uh, gigantic. Really? It's about yay wow. big that uh, you can put up on a stage and see the levels very right. well. The Jerome meters are not inexpensive themselves because they're a highly accurate test thing. I wonder what the big one costs. <laughs> Uh, maybe the ballistic stuff is all the same, so it's just bigger LEDs or something. Anyway, that's the end of the questions we have for today. So we're right there on time. Thank you all. Um, I wish I knew, and I don't know if John Preto has any in intelligence on this. I wish I knew how many people had been involved and in had stopped by the show over the course of the two years that we've been running uh, almost. We're very close to the to the thousandth show. But there has been a lot of people. And I just wanted to say kind of as my little closing thing, uh, the biggest privilege of being here is to be able to interact with, chat with, and show up with so many, so many people over the course of the years. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this anniversary show to see some of the people that I've gotten to hang out with and to make friends with over the course of the last two years. Uh, it's been an extraordinary thing. So if I'm not thankful for anything else on today on Thanksgiving, it's for the opportunity that Alex has afforded us all by creating this to meet, interact with, talk to, learn from. Oh my gosh, learn from so many people, including the people on the panel here today. This is a good example of the, the people that show up every day and help us get smarter, help us expand our knowledge, uh, it's it's an amazing thing. Also, to all of you who are listening today, thank you, because that's why we do this. And without you adding your questions and doing the rest of that, we are not able to do this show. So you are an integral part of it. To the many people in the back end, and I'm always, uh, my heart is warm by looking over to uh, a column where I get to see some of the people who are working in the back end here, and I see names of people who have also become friends. They are often silent. They sit in the back and they do things that are required to bring this show to you every day. And uh, the only way you know who they are is to watch the credits that are going to roll here in just a second. So I would highly suggest you spend a little time at the end of every day and get to know some of those people, what they're doing. They're they're making this possible. Also, there are people, uh, there are a lot of them are on there, but there's a coterie of people who have helped us over the years who are no longer kind of actively involved in the show. And each one of them put a brick in the wall that made this thing possible. So thank you to everybody historically who's done that. That's enough babbling. We're at one minute after nine. So we're going to say goodbye. Thank you for listening. See you next week. I will, and I'll see you tomorrow on the show. Happy Turkey Day, Americans. We got a wolf. I'm still confused by that picture. See you all tomorrow. It's turkey time. Happy Enjoy. Enjoy.